This is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast podcast. It's Friday, February 11th, 2022, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior! America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blowtorches, t-shirts, coffee cups, all-around barbecue-related gear. For you to make barbecue great again, can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom Kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on and off duty gear, custom orders, hot melted Kydex, made just for you. Use the code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. Friends, Mike Lindell is having one of the largest sales ever at MyPillow currently. Giza Dream Sheets, up to 60% off. Prices as low as $39.99. When you own a promo code stake at checkout, you can get that uh, luxurious feeling of Giza wrapping you through the night. MyPillow.com forward slash stake is the website, or you can talk to a qualified pillow representative at 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment can be found at Odyssey and odyssey.com. Whether uh, you're gaming, potting, Clint Eastwood, etc., let Odyssey take care of all of those audio, gaming, and in-studio recording needs. Find him on Facebook and Instagram as well. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's a licensed FFL if you're into tradesies. He's got ammo, five-star rating. Newly redesigned, easy-to-use website, westcoastsurvivalarms.com. You can find him on Facebook Messenger, and it's pretty fast. Or via the telephone, 619-870-6992. First responders are always working hard. It's been warm out, so uh, all the crazies are extra possessed. And whether they're uh, chest compressing, tourniqueting, or narcanning, they're probably wearing mediocre medic. Narcanting. <sighs> T-shirts, sweatshirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more for off-duty gear. Stickers and patches while on. You can find them at mediocremedic.com. They've also got a pretty fire IG, if you know what I mean. And last but certainly not least, the gold standard of tactical flair, Dump Box. Home of the Zero Fuck Stuck. If you don't know, go ask Mark. He's on Facebook. You can find them at dumpbox.us. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, the website, our Telegram, the new Substack, and more. For all of our friends listening from Instagram and Twitter and Discord, 
Welcome. Friday edition. Stay for Breakfast podcast. Episode 107. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's joined us. Hi, guys. We're going to get ready to do the news. Before we do that, let's introduce uh, who's going to be jumping in to do part of the news with us today. You know her as one of our favorite journalists from One American News. She's also a great friend of the show. Ms. Christina Bob, thanks for coming back on this uh, Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Yeah, it's our oh. pleasure for sure. How's everything going with you? Things are good. You know, busy. Washington, D.C. is crazy, as is most of the country at the moment. So keeping up with all of the bizarre happenings in our country and around the world has definitely kept me on my toes. But things are good. Grateful for your show and everything you guys are doing to get the word out. So, yeah, I think I think things are good. Awesome. Yeah, well, that's good, and we're great to uh, have you on. We always like your uh, input on some of the news that we're covering. You've been covering a lot of stuff lately. We saw that there's been uh, a lot of movement in some of the uh, 2020 presidential election-related material going on. You want to uh, give our listening audience a speed round on what you've uh, seen develop over the past couple weeks? Well, yeah, it's interesting because, you know, we're now a year, year and a half past the election, and various grassroots efforts around the country really started digging in after the election. And it's taken about a year, year and a half, but they're finally coming up with some findings. And so uh, there's a lot of good stuff coming out of Wisconsin. Just this week, we had a hearing. Janelle Branchin had an expert on that was talking about phantom votes and said that he estimated there were at least 50,000 phantom votes in Wisconsin. That's on the conservative end. You know, without further investigation, they can't say, you know, how much more there were, but the conservative end is 50,000, which is more than double the margin of victory in Wisconsin. And then uh, Arizona had another hearing this week. It was on Monday and they found this was a grassroots effort. Uh, They had FOIA requested and open records requested a bunch of chain of custody documents from the drop boxes and everything that took place during the 2020 election and found that over 700,000, I think it was about 740,000 votes that had been cast, had no chain of custody documents whatsoever. Mm. Uh, and there's no way wow. to know where those ballots came from. 740,000, that's like three quarters of a million votes where no one knows where those ballots came from. So there's a lot of interesting findings coming out. I think it's only going to continue to grow as we get closer to the 22 election. But yeah, lots of stuff happening. Well, let's touch on that briefly without getting into too specific of uh, a race or any candidates. How do you feel? You know, we've, we always like to talk about the importance level of the 2022 midterms and uh, mm-hmm. how this is probably, I know we all said it, 2016 was the most important election of our time and then 2020, but we really might be after <laughs> 13 and a half months of- Now of we this, really mean yeah, it. Yeah, we, we yeah, are no, super we really serious, guys. 2022 <laughs> midterms is probably the most consequential and important election in the history of this country. I think you're exactly right. I consider the 22 midterms an extension of the 2020 election. Yes. Because prior to 2020, we all kind of suspected there was cheating and shenanigans, but it really wasn't at the forefront of our mind. And then when the Democrats tried to say that Trump cheated, no one believed it because it was like, no, it was really like if anybody was going to cheat, it was the Democrats and they lost. So, you know, there's no probably not any fraud or not nothing large scale. And then 2020 came and everyone said, oh, now I see it. They they completely lost their minds and went so nuclear that they outed themselves for the, the yeah. frauds that they are. 
and everyone's catch, playing catch up. So I think you're exactly right. 22 is going to determine how we responded to 2020. And it's going to, it's going to show, I, I think it's really a, um, not an indictment, but really a, a, a test for the American people. How free do we want to be? Because if we want our freedom, if we want to be a self-governed nation, we need to actually self-govern, which means we need to be involved. We need to have uh, volunteers, part of the process. We need to actually show up and care about the elections. And I think 22 is going to determine whether people show up and actually participate, not just by voting, but being poll workers and poll challengers and taking the time to become a sworn election official, become a judge, be able to determine if there's a dispute in the ballot, be one of the ones that gets to determine if there's a dispute in the ballot. Traditionally, only those real political activist uh, you know, advocate types are the ones that took those jobs. And quite frankly, most of them are very, very liberal. And so we need people who don't necessarily want to do those jobs to take the time to do them because that's, that's what our country needs. So, yeah, I think you're, you're totally right. This is a very important election. It's a test for the American people. And so far, I think they've stepped up. I think they'll continue to step up. And I think the worse this nation gets between now and then the more people are going to step up. Yeah, I agree. Do you think it's a, Kind of refreshing to finally see some of the uh, grass mo- grassroots movement type candidates really come to the forefront of some of these uh, early primary forecasts right now without really dropping any names or anything. But just to see a lot of people who might be cut from a mold similar to Trump outside of the Beltway, they were in the private sector or they are just were in the military and had gone off yeah. to you know start private lives. And now they're gaining so much popularity due to the fact that they understand that Trump era policies were the way to uh, have the most success in the country. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think people used the establishment and the establishment used the excuse of, don't worry, Republicans are looking out for conservative interests. Democrats are looking out for liberal interests. We'll tell you who to vote for. We'll tell you who the best players are. You don't have to do that work, America. And 2020 proves to us that's not true. Neither party is looking out for the interests of any of their constituents. All of the parties are looking out for the best interests of the parties. And so I think I think 2020 was a huge eye opener on that. And it finally got people to say, oh, we can't trust anybody on this. We need to actually find people who represent us. And I think Donald Trump's movement really is the only one in the country. There's no other political candidate like him on either side of the aisle. Agreed. And I think people are starting to recognize that's the guy who's who's really leading the true political movement in our country. And uh, without him and, and prior to 2020, I don't know that all of these candidates that we're seeing rise to the occasion right now, they wouldn't have had a chance before because people always just relied on the establishment. But now that the establishment has been outed as the swamp creatures that they are, uh, I think people are willing to look to other places. And so that's what's given them the, that's what's given these candidates the opportunity to rise to the occasion. I think. I definitely think they uh, smell blood in the water and are starting to get a little bit scared up there in, in, in the Capitol now, because you've seen all of our great friends from Mike Pence, Liz Cheney, uh, Nancy Pelosi, and Mitch McConnell over the last four or five days all reference how awful January 6th was in regards to anything to do with this new uh, conservative grassroots, you know, Save America movement. And you've even seen uh, people on the Democratic side of the aisle starting to push um, in-state legislation to try and stop potential candidates 
all the way from the rookies like Madison Cawthorn up to potential speaker of the houses. Jim Banks came out yesterday and said, you know, they were they were proposing legislation to prevent him from being on the ballot in the election uh, in 2022 because of his rhetoric regarding how serious he thought January 6th was. I just think it's pretty uh, at the end of the day, I guess you just call it embarrassing to see that from all of our elected officials. It is so embarrassing. And it's astonishing to me that, that they're sticking to the narrative. I mean, I guess they have to because the, they backed themselves into a corner because to transition from the narrative, they would have to admit that they were wrong in some area and they don't want to do that. But Americans don't believe the January 6th narrative. They know it's not what what the media and what these political leap supposed leaders are telling us that it is. And so to double down on that and pretend like everybody in America believes them and to pretend like this was some huge insurrection, I think it just outs them for the frauds that they are because they clearly have a different agenda other than the truth and other than the well-being of American citizens. They have a different agenda. We don't know what it is. I can say it's selfishness. I can say it's money. I can say they're in the pocket of something. Like, I don't know. But what I do know is it's not the truth. So uh, I don't know what their agendas are, but it's it's odd to take that position, I think. Yeah. yeah they're, they're in too deep. They can't move. They can't turn back now. They have yeah. they have no choice but to double down. And it's going to be even worse for them now. It's like like you said, they're, they're painted in a corner. So then they yeah. have to, they have to keep, just keep going toward that brick wall, you know. Yeah, Liz Cheney has a 17% favorability uh, rating throughout the state of Wyoming, and she literally called her constituents fringe crazies yesterday on, on national wow, television. Getting, yeah. I don't know how she is. She just counting on fraud in Wyoming. Like, how is she going to recover <laughs> yeah, from this? Basically, they don't care. There's <laughs> enough fraud in the world to save her reelection campaign. I'm oh. sorry to break it to you. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> out of the question. So, I mean, you could do, you could shave two, three, four, maybe even five points, but not 70. Uh, yeah, I, don't well, think I mean, look what they did in Pennsylvania. With no, Donald no, that's Trump. true. That's I mean, true. I mean, he was up 800,000 votes. You're right. There's mm-hmm. going to be security footage of her just showing up wearing different wigs and voting multiple yeah. times. Why are you driving a tractor trailer? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a trucker. Why are you yeah. driving a tractor trailer? Oh, well. Vote. Yeah, that's the thing. And speaking of all of our friends up in Washington, D.C., especially the ones uh, at the FBI, the CIA, the DOJ, and like, all, all the people at Nancy Pelosi's disposal. I'd like to say hi to my personal FBI agent right now. Well, Gary. apparently after <laughs> within the last 24 hours, we've learned that they're probably fans of the show because we yeah. haven't gotten in trouble yet. Yeah. Uh, it, we've seen a whole bunch of stuff go on recently. Uh, most notably, it was a little bit earlier in the week when... Um, we found that a, uh, a House representative had his office broken into while they were off and uh, raided and essentially surveilled and, and had some evidence collected in regards to insurrectionism. It's yeah. an ism now? Yes. Tucky broke the news two nights ago and uh, started talking about it. Let's, let's dive into this narrative. Independent branches in the federal government. That means under our Constitution, which by the way still exists, Congress does not report to the other two branches. Congress has specific legal protections to assure their independence. Congress is the group of legislators that you elect directly. Again, that's the heart of the democracy. So by law, the Department of Justice run by the president cannot issue a search warrant to rummage through a representative's office or mail, period. That's what separation of powers mean. You don't have to go to law school to understand that. But the Biden administration is flagrantly ignoring this, Mm. and no one's doing anything about it. They're doing it because they see the Constitution as an obstacle. You heard the president say the other night, no amendment is absolute. Really? 
Thanks for the lecture on the Constitution, Mr. Genius. Here's the latest <laughs> example, and it's pretty shocking, just like the last one we told you Mr. about. Jesus. Today, Republican Congressman Louis Gohmert of Texas revealed that two letters that were sent to his office instead were opened by the Justice Department. You can see the letters on your screen right now, and we know they went to the DOJ because they have DOJ stamps on them. Mm. They're intercepting his mail? Yes. Here's Gohmert's statement. Even if it were a mistake to deliver Congress's mail to the DOJ, the DOJ has an obligation to immediately notify Congress and forward the mail without opening it. It is gravely concerning since congressional mail is constitutionally protected under the speech and debate clause of the Constitution. It could be routed intentionally or not through the highly partisan DOJ. This is felonious behavior. It certainly is. By the way, these agencies mess with all kinds of unelected Americans. The rest of us, there's nothing we can do about it. But you'd hope if they mess with elected officials, members of Congress, they would be severely punished. And we fervently hope they will be. We've reached out, by the way, to the DOJ and the Justice Department for comment. They're not going to comment. Imagine that. Um, yeah, they're definitely not going to comment. <clears throat> pretty scary, to say the least. We're seeing things that not even could be dreamed when the Patriot right? Act, yeah, when the Patriot Act was enacted after 9-11. Right. This, this is like all of the stuff that like really bad Tom Cruise movies are made up of. This is like <laughs> this is like Soviet-esque stuff. This is these oh, are yeah. the type of tactics that occurred in the Soviet Union. And Nancy Pelosi, I saw the press conference where they asked Nancy Pelosi about, you know, hey, this I think it was Congressman Nell's. Yes, um, I can't. We're going to jump into that Nell's, in a minute. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So Congressman Nell's had his office uh, looked into. And after that, they Nancy Pelosi held a press conference and someone asked her, said, hey, did you send the Capitol Police to Congressman Nels's office? And her response was, I have no authority over Capitol Police. I have no authority over law enforcement at the Capitol. It's ridiculous for anyone to accuse me of that. No one would listen to me. That was her response. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. You're the Speaker of the House. Like yeah. You run everything in the House. Thanks. All of a sudden, she doesn't have any authority. Yeah, I have no, no authority. What are you talking about? You're the it. only one. If you don't run the Capitol Police, if you're not in charge of the Capitol Police, right. who is? Well, thank God for representatives like Thomas Massey, who I've come to learn this week is a casual listener to the show. So, Representative Massey, you're quite based, second to only Gosar right now. Uh, but we appreciate the listenership. Who put out a... Uh, I guess it was like an internal chart, kind of like uh, the U.S. House of Representatives for Dummies. You know how you move into like a oh, like the power structure. Like when you get into a, you move into a new house and you get like the HOA manual. Well, this was like the HOA manual for the structure of the uh, how the power goes in the House of Representatives. And there was the chart that had Nancy Pelosi like right in the middle and arrows directly <laughs> to like the Capitol Police, the Department of Justice, and a whole bunch of other law enforcement agencies that she's essentially weaponized since uh, the election yeah. last year. It's always good when people don't know their job or don't know that we know that they know well that's what they're counting on right they they're hoping that people just don't know and so that they'll just believe what she says because quite honestly that's actually how it's happened for the last 20 years yeah people haven't been paying attention i it was i saw a a study that was done this one was done like so it was done in phases one i want to say was in 2020 and the one before that i think they do it every year so if you look at and i'll sorry i should have pulled this before we start talking about it but um, I can send it to you. Perfect. It was studying the, the basic knowledge that Americans have about government. And I want to say it was the 2019 version. Only 33% of Americans could even identify the three branches of government, like Oof. executive, judicial, and legislative. Like they did not know. So only one third of Americans actually knew how our government worked. 
Uh, the three basic branches. And like, as you got more complex, like, can you name all five rights preserved in the first amendment? Like 20% could name all five, you know, it was very, very low. And then you get to 2020 and then 2021 and it's drastically increased. Like in 2020, it was 50%. And then 2021, it's gotten higher, which is, I think a really good sign. And it also triggers to me that all of this craziness that has happened has caused people to engage and say, wait a second, wait a second, what is happening? And they're actually taking time to pay attention and listen to the people in government and try to figure out for themselves if they're being honest and if they're telling the truth. I think that needs to happen in greater measure. We need to continue this growth. But I was very excited to see the growth in knowledge of American citizens. And prior to 2019, for like decades, I want to say the last 15, 20 years, the number of people who could identify all three branches of government was very, very low. It was 30, 33% or less for like the last 20 years. And then the fact that it rapidly flipped at 2020, I think is a an indicator that these crazies like Nancy Pelosi, who just say whatever they want to say because they know that no one actually knows the truth. Oh yeah. Uh, it, it's not working anymore. It just doesn't right. work anymore. Yeah. It's yeah. like, Hey Nancy, I know you're from before computers, but we can look things up now. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, all this craziness I think is, has been like a crash course in like, you know, how all government works and you know what, like what the, you know, what her role is and people are like, really, really, you know, educating themselves now and, and they're seeing through all the bullshit because of that. And it's yeah, only, I it's, think a, that's right. it's only recently that her flexes come to the forefront. I mean, she's always been someone behind closed doors that's been brokering bad deals, whether it was insider trading that would line her pockets or using some of our uh, law enforcement agencies to kind of bully uh, other members of the house and probably the Senate as well. Christina led in on um, Troy Nell's in his office uh, that was raided by, well, after they determined that the door was propped open, it was kind of weird because when Troy Nels did a, a post on Twitter, which showed the door to his office, it had one of those, you know, things that make the door close. Oh, the up, auto latch, yeah. Right, on the top. And uh, when the people went back, surveillance footage shows that the three people who were originally Capitol Police came back in construction worker clothes, which was equally weird to take pictures and, and look through stuff in his office. Let's Maybe hear. they were on break doing their side job. He jumped on Tucker later in that episode and uh, kind of broke it down briefly. Let's hear it. Well, the claim is that they discovered one of my uh, office doors wide open on a, a Saturday afternoon. The officer right. entered my office and said, you know, to check to see if anybody was there that shouldn't be there and saw suspicious writings on my whiteboard, whereas where I draft my legislative proposals. A couple days later, I've got these secret agents, secret agents from the Capitol Police knocking on my office door, questioning my staff, one of my staffers, as to the language on that board. Why was there body armor written on your board? Interrogating this, this staffer, asking him uh, questions related to a handwritten map of the Rayburn office building, which is an office building for, con for members of Congress, and the X on it. I mean, absolutely silly, absolutely ludicrous. Why were the Capitol Police inside my office investigating me? And I was under criminal investigation. The chief of police, Manger, is, he's downplaying this, but I'm telling you, they're coming after anyone that has a dissenting point of view, anybody that doesn't agree with them. It happened to me, sir. I believe the NSA, it happened to you looking at your emails. Tech. So that kind of paints a little bit of a scarier picture than, mm. you know, Tucker's original lead in. And uh, I'm surprised there was security footage. Yeah, no. I know. Right. Well, good for luckily for us. The Capitol Police is not known for their 
elite prowess when it comes to law enforcement. Uh, so they, they are actually known throughout DC for being quite sloppy in their work. And, um, it does not surprise me that they would run a stealth operation and record (laughs) themselves doing it and make it open to a FOIA request. So, uh, yeah, I like the construction, the construction outfit. That's that's the best movies. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. No, but to Roan's point, it it is really scary. And it, it's a huge problem. I think that they they went so nuclear in 2020 that they outed themselves, not just for the frauds that they are as it comes to the election, but just how power hungry and control, like what the control freaks that they are. And they know they've outed themselves. And as a result, they have to double down and go bigger and go bigger. And yeah. they're at the point where they have to take away all of our freedoms in order to keep their power. And they're trying to do it prior to 2020. They were doing it incrementally, incrementally, you know, without anybody paying attention, but because they outed themselves with the 2020 election and everyone started taking a closer look. Now they're at the point where they're like, shut down all free freedoms, consolidate all power with us, you know, imprison any dissenters. Like they had to go so high into the right that, um, you know, that's why I think we're seeing this huge pendulum swing of trying to get rid of freedoms because now they're trying to consolidate their power. It's just gotten more and more ridiculous. Yeah. And they don't time, you know, in their minds. So they're so brazen. They don't even care. You know, people know anymore. Yeah. Like we need to, we need to accomplish this mission. Well, they know yeah. if they, if they lose control now, they're done. They're not going to be able to get it back. Not without, oh, yeah. you know, that's where I think a lot of the pushback comes on these uh, grassroots yeah. candidates yeah. running in the midterms. And some of the ones who are extremely popular running for reelections, like I mentioned, the, uh, the Jim Banks's and Madison Cawthorn's MTGs of the world and stuff. I wish it would have ended there with a little opening of the mail and maybe some construction workers taking pictures. And poop on his desk, did they? We're just getting warmed up. The U.S. Department well, of Homeland Security this week issued. I was a, just, that was a great segue. I was just I didn't we didn't even coordinate this. I think I read your mind. Oh, Sorry, thank you. go ahead. Nice. Yeah, we're, we're hitting it pretty hard right now. They they issued another terrorism advisory because you I know. Was, we were looking for a clap back here. We had supposedly the leader of ISIS. I read his name last week. It would had seven to eight last names, but what did they say his yeah. name was? Uh, Haji Abdul was the way Joe Biden was allowed to say it because there's no way he was going to read his full name. I wish he would have tried. That would have been beautiful. Okay, so, so now maybe we're looking for retaliatory strikes all over the world, right? All of our in common interests, uh, you know, you have uh, embassies, uh, ships, and stuff like that. Pretty scary. Even, you know, people here in the homeland who may have circumvented the open borders this year and might be ISIS sympathizers looking Oop. to cause America's harm. No, none of that. There will be none of that. There will only be American citizens... Probably white ones only mm-hmm. who go to rallies bearing Confederate flags and saying bad things about other races um, who will be pushing Mal, Dis, and there was one other one, something information online. That is the only threat to America right now and what is eventually going to bring this country down. Only people yeah. on the internet. Dismiss and mal, I believe right. it was. So shit. Yeah, they even made an acronym for it, just yeah. like the federal government does. Yeah. DMM or M- right. M- something like that. Yeah. So essentially, if you're shit posting about Dr. Fauci online right now, you have a pretty good chance of having FBI agents no knock raid your house. That's no joke. They they actually issued that threat. Like, I know it sounds ridiculous, but. Um, there was porches of us included with the one we got. <laughs> yeah. But the, what they're doing with this with identifying misinformation as a terrorist threat is really trying to scare people into not even thinking about 
contradicting the government or challenging the government. And I'll give them credit. They were somewhat honest in their rationale. They said um, any um, probably wasn't exactly like this, but criticizing the government and criticizing the government's actions uh, is a threat to trust in the government institution. They're basically saying we want you to only trust the government institution. And if you challenge us, it might make people not trust us so much. So we are going to label you a terrorist if you give people a reason to not trust us. Yeah, for the people that have been purporting that it's not 1984, they sure are going by 1984. Yeah. Yeah. They they really are. It's like they read it. It was like, hey, this is a a great idea. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Well, you could only imagine that this enraged our great friends over at Steve Bannon's War Room. He took off uh, yesterday's episode and uh, really tore into this narrative. Or bring in Dr. Paul Alexander. One of the most disturbing things I've ever read, uh, last night or the, uh, yesterday, the National Terrorism Advisory System, Summary of Terrorism Threat to the Homeland. I want to put this up on the screen. I want to make it, and let's get it up on all the platforms today. Let's actually do it. Let's get it in the getter right now. This is a threat assessment of the, uh, the single biggest threat to the United States of America, coming from Mayorkas's DHS, and this is the guy that was called a pathological liar yesterday on, I think, on a Fox streaming service Mm. with victims of illegal alien crime, called a pathological liar, and blown up when he went down to the border. This is a this threat assessment is that this is all about domestic terrorism of people that are sowing uh, discontent, misinformation, and uh, misleading narratives regarding government institutions. How dare we? This is the single most shocking thing I've ever seen in regards to an authoritarian state. And we're not going to stand for it, okay? We've got a lot of things going on about this. We are not going to stand for this. We are not going to let you turn the United States into a totalitarian dictatorship. This is what the illegitimate regime of the Biden regime is doing. And this ain't me saying it. This is in their own words, in their own threat bulletin. I want everybody in this audience to get this. Let's get it up right now. Let's link it to everywhere. I want everybody to read it. I want everybody to contemplate on it. And I want you to share it uh, with your neighbors, your friends, everyone. I want you to know exactly what the illegitimate Biden regime is doing. And hey, if they think it's illegitimate, if they think it's misleading information about the illegitimacy of the Biden regime, but we're going to go out to Arizona. We're going to go to Wisconsin. We're going to talk about everything that's going on in that regard of where we're adjudicating this in state legislatures, in courts, with evidence. Right now, I just want to repeat this, the Department of Homeland Security, a national terrorism advisory system puts up that the number one threat to the United States is uh, domestic terrorists putting out misinformation to to cause uh, undermined public trust in U.S. government institutions. Mm. Titillating. Right? And equally scary. But that doesn't mean I have to watch what I say on Instagram. (laughs) No. Kidding. Well, I mean, unless you want to be labeled a terrorist. (laughs) I mean, but that's the point, right? That's the whole point of the the advisory is to make people have that exact reaction, right? Oh, maybe I shouldn't put this on Instagram. Maybe I shouldn't do this. And it's just, it's so evil. It's just evil. It definitely yeah, it's, is. It's definitely like a scare tactic, but it's it will be very interesting to see if they actually try to implement it. Like, if, like you know, in the videos I've seen from people in Australia, you know, a pregnant woman was, you know, just trying to set up a freedom rally and they show up to her house and arrest her because she had a Facebook group, you know, 
to peacefully protest. It's just madness. It's scary. It's yeah. really scary. I just hope we don't get to that well, point. Well, if they but. if they define enough people as pe- persons of interest, then it just gives the surveillance state a full blown way to just look into everybody's everything at any time. They well, want. that's what they're doing. Did yeah. you see um, Jim Jordan? I saw an interview with Jim Jordan this week, where uh, Ohio Congressman, where he was saying that Congress is is working on. I think it's the Pegasus system. Are you familiar with that? Where um, giving the federal government the ability to surveil everybody yep. for any reason, like have access to your cell phone, your computer. They can watch everything you're doing at TVs any time. And everything. <laughs> yeah. It's, it is terrifying what they want to do. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they can do it already. And they are, they have been, they, I think they, they are for some paper. people like, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, no. I was just saying that it's just, it hasn't been so blatantly on paper. Obviously they've been doing this for a long time. Yeah, no, I think you're right. No, they're moving from 1984 to Batman now. Yeah. <laughs> well, e- even worse, <laughs> and just when you thought we might have been finished talking about this narrative, it was released late last night through internal documentation that was leaked to the media. The CIA, for an undetermined amount of time, has been secretly conducting massive data collection programs that capture United States citizens' private information in newly declassified documents that were originally leaked to the press and now have become declassified. You're welcome for the memes. Oh, lovely. <laughs> so now we're running into that narrative where you're going to start seeing all of these people get called up on Capitol Hill and you're going to run into the apologies that they don't know how long it's been going on or how big the right. database is and who's even on there or what they're collecting. It's just they're not even in charge of that. Right. They were going to just say they were throwing the nets out there. Oh, looking for ISIS fighters and Al Qaeda fighters and MS-13, you know, gang members and, and sex traffickers. And we just started getting all this other information. And, and instead of like saving the children or stopping terrorists, we see like people that don't like Joe Biden and people that make fun of Nancy Pelosi's eyebrows and, you know, people. Yeah. People that are sharing memes of the guy who shit on Mitch McConnell's desk on January 6th and stuff like that. Do we get a name for him yet? No. No, we haven't. I'm sure uh, we'll find out when he gets released from the gulag in D.C. But, (laughs) Christina, it is a pretty sad state that the nation is in right now in regards to this overreaching, extensive, and just, right, Soviet-style trying to crush the movement that's literally trying to save this country. I mean, I, I... how do you argue in like any context based off of everything from national security to sovereignty of our borders, the economy, inflation, you name it, racist bridges, anything. Yeah. Did this- you, did you see that poll CNN put out? Um, yes. We're going to get to that Hodge, later. I saw it on the Hodge twins post, but 50% of Americans think Joe Biden has done nothing successful. They can't identify a single thing. And then I think it's in it's in the single digits of anyone who's willing to say he's done something well. Yeah. Like if you haven't seen, I saw it on the Hodge Hodge Twins Instagram account. They posted it, but it, it was I read it a few times and almost wondered if it was um like wondered if it was real because it was so bad and CNN posted it. Here we go. Um, what has Biden done that you approve of? Nothing. They disapprove of everything. 56%. Economy, 15%. Coronavirus, 6%. So only 6% of Americans agree oh. with Joe Biden's coronavirus response. Yep. Personal Damn. traits. <laughs> uh, personal traits is 4%. His foreign policy is 4%. And any other issues is 2%. You know like, that you know that 4% from uh, foreign policy is is definitely Kirby, 
Millie, Austin, and one other person probably voting for it. Jen, Jen Saki with a gun the to her head. Those are the illegal immigrants that have come into the country since. Hey, they only got to wait you know. 30 days before they could participate in those municipal elections. So oh, good. Yeah. yeah. So do you think we're going to get that cognitive test? Did you see that where uh, they were talking about how making Trump take a cognitive test was uh, setting a precedent that we might be able to make Joe Biden take one? Yeah. That'd would, be pretty awesome. Someone threw a montage of that up on Twitter that literally said, uh-huh. Uh, it was it was Ronnie Jackson uh, talking about taking that cognitive test on Twitter and then it immediately segued to Donald Trump at the border wall when he went after he didn't win the election, like in 2020 sometimes. And he's like, hey, guess what? That 25th Amendment wasn't meant for me and it's going to come back and bite you guys in the ass. Got him. So it was, <laughs> it was literally one of those things where, uh, you know, they, they jumped right into each other and, and it makes a whole lot of sense, which consequently is the opposite of what Joe Biden does anytime. Listen, don't ask him about to saving Ukraine or Iraq, I mean, <laughs> Afghanistan, <laughs> or whatever he did with Lester Ukrainistan. Oh, it's ugly. So, Christina, we're going to cut with you now. We got another guest coming in. And, uh, awesome. yeah, we, we need to, so from now on, whenever we schedule you, we're going to, like, gray area, like, 15 minutes before so we can. <laughs> it's like a bullshit. Yeah, so we could get Max you on the show, even though, like, we had Max you in real life, our, our listenership. I know, it's fun. I like the real life. I like the show. I like it all. Let's do it again. Perfect. And we got to keep up with uh, Coffee and a Mike. He, he's still killing us in how many times you've been on that show. So we well, gotta, if you ever end up in San <laughs> he Diego. He was my very first podcast. That yeah, was, we got to bump fun. those numbers up. And uh, he's got a great show as well. We'll, we'll yeah. live link him in the show description today, too. Why don't you tell our listenership where they could find you, the show every weekend, and then your socials? Yeah, so my uh, Instagram and Twitter handle is at Christina, C-H-R-S-T-I-N-A underscore Bob, B-O-B-B. And then you can find me on OAN throughout uh, news, the news hour. And then I have my own show on the weekend Saturdays at 2 PM Eastern, 10 PM, or I'm sorry, 2 PM Eastern, 10 AM Pacific, 11 AM, three hours difference. It's, it's 2 PM Eastern, whatever. We screwed that up sometimes too. 11. Yeah. Whatever 11. the West coast time is, it's 2 11. PM Eastern. <laughs> if you watch, if you watch OAN on Saturday or Sunday, there's a great chance that you're going to see it on rerun. It's, it's on, I think yes, twice a day. Mm -hmm. So, and this is one of our great friends, and she is the host of the weekly briefing on OAN. Miss Christina Bob, yeah. thanks for joining us again on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you, guys. All right, jumping in with us now. She's a mother and a businesswoman, a sixth-generation Texan, and she's an American first patriot running for Congress in Texas's third district. Miss Suzanne Harp, thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. This is a real privilege. Oh, the pleasure is all ours, ma'am. How's everything going with you? It's fast and furious. You know, we have a pretty hotly contested election here. We're trying to unseat our rhino. And guess what starts on Monday is voting. So we have early voting starting Monday. And then the primary last day to vote is March 1. So we, Texas is one of the first primaries. Yeah. We've, and we have some other colleagues around the nation that they don't get to go till June. I told them what I would give for another 100 days. Right. <laughs> yeah. Just right? about all the doors you can knock on and, and events you can host. <sighs> yes. Knocking on a lot of doors, changing hearts and minds well, at the good. moment, trying to educate people about the guy we're trying to get rid of and about our America first policies. Nice. And we're going to get all into that in a second, but I'm going to circle back to changing hearts and minds. Obviously yours was, and in your being compelled to run, what was the motivating factors here that uh, made you go out and want to get into the campaign? I think the thing that really sent it over the edge for us was January 6th. We felt like, of course, in our campaign, we feel like the, the election was stolen. We do feel like Trump won. 
And we felt like January 6th was a big shiny object to get us off of the count that Ted Cruz so wonderfully articulated. We wanted 10 days of a, a very strategic forensic audit, a very specific county, so we could prove out our theory that it was indeed stolen. And, you know, they we have political prisoners today, and I think that we're very dangerously coming close to becoming Venezuela. Yeah, as you guys know, I've been pretty public about it. My son, Blake, is the chief of staff for Madison Cawthorn. So he was there at the Cannon Building working that day. Oh, wow. Right? And so we're watching in all horror. I can I knew my gut said, and we were texting back and forth. I said, Blake, I think Antifa has infiltrated the Patriot movement. Yeah. And he's, you know, on the interior. So you really, you, you know, when you're so close to it, you don't necessarily can see what we're seeing. We're watching video of of police officers moving barricades and letting them come in the building and whatnot. And I immediately, I felt like it was a trap. I, and I was very, very concerned. Of course, I'm a mom. It's concerned for his uh, safety and well-being. Of course. And I was concerned for Madison because Madison's in a wheelchair. And I was pretty confident he was already on the House floor voting. And generally, those two travel together. Um, and Blake was in his office. So I was concerned about his safety and getting to him and, and things like that. And so... You know, as the months progressed, we realized that our congressman voted for the January 6th commission. And during, you know, the real irony of the whole thing is during the whole summer of love, he wouldn't speak out against taking down our historical statues. He was all for it. He was he wouldn't speak out and say, you know, we've got to put a tamper on Antifa and Black Lives Matter. He wouldn't speak against it at all. And so we watched in horror these cities being burned to the ground. And a lot of minority business owners, because, you know, that's my, where my heart is. I love business. And their businesses were being destroyed and decimated. And even to this day, you have CVS and Walgreens and some of the other convenience stores that will not go back into those neighborhoods. And so that means that those people that are trying to start business, you know, it's a community, right? And so if you don't have the convenience of those stores also being there, it's really difficult for you to start your business in life over again. And then not to mention that was billions of dollars that were um, destroyed over that summer of love. And so I just see the hypocrisy behind it all. And that's what really just for us, we've decided that we, you know, in Collin County, we need a new leader and we um, redistrict. And so now we have Collin and Hunt County. Okay. And kept us all of CD3. So we're heavily red here. Trump won by a very large margin. We are, it's what we call an R plus 16. So 16 to one for Democrat, right? Yeah. It's a great community, business owners, business, you know, families, and, you know, it's a nice place to live. It really, really is. But we've had conservative values, conservative principles, free market capitalism in our community for a long time. And the converse, you would see someone, you know, like a Michigan that's struggling with Democrat rule for so long or in Illinois, right? And those places have struggled for so long and they're doing terrible. It's just a 180 degree different from doing things with a free market capitalist, letting people make their own choices, low regulations, and, you know, the converse of the Democrats. And our guy, y'all would like to know something very interesting. He likes to caucus with the Democrats. He's a part of what we call the freedom, the um, problem solver caucus. Oh, okay. Yeah. So 50% Democrat, 50% Republican, which means Nancy gets her stance of approval before it goes any further. So, you know, we're a little, we're a little ready for a change. Yeah. Now let's talk about how well you've been received. I mean, you said you have a rhino. That's your, your uh, biggest Republican primary challenger. And uh, definitely that's something in play this year. I think with the midterm elections, the red wave that's coming and the America first movement that's happening in this country right now, a lot of grassroots campaigns and candidates coming out of virtually 
all aspects of life to kind kind of all say, you know what, it's time to ascend on Washington D.C. and, and take back this country from, you know, the administrative state. How how's the uh, reception been to uh, your candidacy, and then you know going back to promoting some of those uh, America First values, Trump era policies, and uh, obviously you talked about the voting record of your uh, primary challenger, but uh, how what have people's feedback been when when there's now an alternative choice who's America First? Yeah, that's a beautiful question. At first, as you can imagine, it was like pushing a boulder uphill. Once you started the education, though, we're coming down the other side of the hill. We did a um, district-wide poll, paid for uh, all the good things, third party, and we asked them to double their numbers of the sample. And so we have him at polling about 36%. We believe we can get him lower than that with education. And once the our district understands that they have a choice, there's five people total in the race, so that should send a message to Washington and the rhinos that are trying to keep this guy in his seat, that we're very serious about a change. And um, we, um, as we educate the public to answer your question very specifically, when they say, oh my gosh, you voted for the January 6th commission, you voted to elect the, you know, certify the Biden electors. And then the private vote that he voted to confirm Liz Cheney when she came up for the non-confidence vote, that kind of sends it over the edge for them. So we do have an education where, you know, we play like we're the underdog. We play like we're not going to win. We play as hard and as fast as we possibly can so that we can um, make sure we're pushing as, to get that message out as clearly and as um, often as possible. Yesterday, we did three events. Today, we have several interviews and a large event tonight. We're going to do a freedom rally in Anna tonight. So I everybody saw that. can check that out. Yeah, I already shared that on our social media. Yeah, thank you for that. So, well, you know, once you start to educate um, and get that message out, we are the district is very receptive to having a change, to having somebody who has a business mind. And Trump did a lot of really good things for us. He taught us how to fight. He taught us when we fight, we win. He taught us that we need to look at other people and stop choosing the same people to send to Washington over and over and over again. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of going off of that way that he still, you know, has out there for us to get that America first message out. Absolutely. And he needs a bigger cadre of patriots waiting for him in D.C. when he comes back, um, whether yeah. it be a Speaker of the House briefly after the midterm elections or for surely in the 2024 generals. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask, uh, we'll get into national policies after that, but what are some of the things that are resonating in the country, probably the economy, most of all, and then Texas? I mean, every state's a border state, but you guys are, are, are a super border state. How do those things, uh, how important are those are, are they to your everyday Texan? Well, the border is huge for us. And there's so many problems that are encompassing the border. You know, when we, my daughter works for a company called Zero Trafficking. So it's frontline oh, wow. human trafficking. And they find open source. The bad guys are so brazen. They stick their information out on the open web, trying to get people to take, you know, and to purchase a human life. And these things are absolutely disgusting to us. And after you start to pull back the, the onion, right, of what the border means to Texas, Recently, we've had Russians and Muslims that are trying to come across our borders, not just from Latin America, and people need to understand that. We also have people trying to overstay their visas that have no good intention for America. Right. But then once you start to talk about those really tough issues to answer your question, it leads to other issues. When we talk about the proper care of a child. In Texas right now, we have 2,000 children under the age of 18, as young as four, that are being transitioned. Mm. And I don't know about you, but it, to me, that's monstrous. Yeah. Absolutely monstrous. So when we, you know, whenever I go around, I'm talking about human trafficking, labor trafficking, and all the things. 
And what we understand that we've got to have that wall built. We've got to have the border built. We have to have a stay in Mexico policy reinstated. But it goes and it allows you to really speak to a much deeper issue of where the moral depravity is that's going on in America. And if we don't all step up and take our own ownership in it, we're not going to change it. They care about that. I tell you right now, parents care about the pornography that's in schools. We've got to stop it. It's in our libraries. Little kids have no business seeing that. They don't want CRT. They don't want more division in the country. And that is being pushed down from a federal level. We want our local schools and our local parents in charge of the education, not the federal government. So, you know, when I go around, and I tell them I homeschooled our kids for a lot of years. Mm-hmm. So I picked handpicked curriculum. I understand how it can be done and be done very well. Um, and it's not hard to do. Read real books, right? And spend time um, learning and, and going through um, science experience. It, it's actually very fun. Yeah. They don't, that's what parents care about. They care about the economy. They care about their education. They care about safe place for people to live. Um, and those are the things that I, you, you can tell what the Biden administration is doing. You can tell what Nancy Pelosi is doing. They want to dismantle America, literally, and they're not afraid to say it anymore. So, you know, these COVID mandates, look at Biden. He's just going to dig his heels in further and further with the COVID mandates. Yep. We have frontline workers in New York right now that are saying, I have fought through the pandemic but you still want to fire me because I won't get the vaccine. You know, these kind of things are inexcusable and it's just about control. It's tyranny. And so we have to put a stop to this. We have to, from the federal government standpoint, get off the backs of the American people. Yeah, it certainly is. And and it's very disturbing. We have frontline workers on, on the Southern border and like, you know, the border guards and stuff who are, who are looking up against the same mandates. I mean, they've, they've kicked the can down the road a little bit with the dates. First it was Christmas then it was Valentine's day. Now it's kind of in a gray area. Well, It's almost not even relevant anymore. I mean, isn't the the vaccine is based on a previous version iteration of the now mutated strain. Yes. So, I mean, I feel like it's eventually going to get defeated in court and it's going to be a huge, an even bigger L than it has been already for this administration. But I think in the meantime, just hovering over people's heads, it's pretty disturbing. I want to talk about uh, one of the things that I think is probably really important to some of the people of Texas. That's national defense. I know there's a lot of uh, military presence in Texas. There's, you know, huge bases there and uh, all aspects of, of every branch of the military operates out of the great state of Texas. What are some of the things on national defense? There was just... As we're talking right now, uh, uh, an advisory from the State Department for all U.S. personnel to evacuate uh, Ukraine in the next 24 to 48 hours. Uh, As that area starts to heat up, we've seen North Korea, Iran, China, and Taiwan all heating up in addition to the Afghanistan debacle. How are we going to make our military great again when just 13 and a half short months ago it was probably the strongest and, and, and best postured military in the world? Yeah, I, let me just piggyback on what you said really sure. quick, because last night I had to watch it over and over again to make sure I heard it correctly. But Putin, did you hear what he said when Macron was there? Oh, yeah. about the new- You listen to that video in its entirety. He is not playing. No. Around. He is going to take military action. And we are fools. The, the, the mainstream media is not reporting on it. They see our president is weak. The only way to answer your questions, we have to reinforce our troops. Number one, we got to stop making them take mandates. I spoke to some of the Green Berets, and in their units, they are having brain bleeds because of the vaccine. Yep. Wow. Uh, can you believe that? We have to bring we have to um, bring a sense of normalcy again to our military. We we'll stop trying to make them take a vaccine that we know is not good for them. But oh my gosh, I on the world stage right now with what Biden did in Afghanistan, we look weak. 
We look incompetent. And to be honest with you, I don't feel good about going to war with him as our commander in chief. Do you? No, no not at all. I mean, we have that to me, that's the last thing we need to do. Um, of course, I have four children. I have three boys that, you know, are in drafting age. My youngest is 17 and, you know, they're soon, right? As a mother, that nothing makes me more concerned to think that they could be drafted under this kind of administration. So well, we have no business in engaging in anything right now. My children will tell you that well, they have been at war. This is what they said to me literally. Mom, we've been at war. I, I've never known America not to be at war their whole life. Yeah. We, we have to be about America first policies. And I don't think it's any mistake at all. When Trump was in power, we had a powerful leader. We're not going to strengthen our military until we have a powerful leader again. Nobody was going to mess with us when they knew that we had, they had the respect of a strong leader. And so we have to make sure that we have a Trump-like individual that is America first, that understands and loves our country so that he can put money back into the military, restrengthen the military, stop trying to be all these social weird things going on within our military and let our military be the military, let them be great instead of trying to make them transgender. It's trying to make them all these other things that they aren't really designed to do. They're designed to protect us. They're designed to make us strong. So to be honest with you, I listened to Putin again. I listened to it twice, very carefully. I would suggest all your listeners listen to it very carefully. He means business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just to, give, just to give some context and paraphrase what Putin said during their joint press conference after their six-hour meeting at the really weird long table. It was like one of those funny 90s movies where like a billionaire was talking to a poor person. And it was because Macron refused a, a, a COVID test because he thought the Russians might be trying to collect his DNA. So he put oh, him at like, he put him on the other side of a hundred foot table and put a huge flower in between them. So they couldn't even see each other's face. <laughs> and they sat like that for six hours. But, so weird. But, but getting back to the context of what he said, Putin in Putin like fashion said, he understands the Russian military does not compare to that of all of Europe and of NATO, maybe the U S he said, well, NATO, yeah. but what everybody fails to remember is that, Russia is probably one of the top few nuclear superpowers globally. And if it comes down to that, at the end of the day, there will be no winners, period. And then he kind of smirked. And shortly thereafter, he walked away because he lost interest in it. So it's one of those things. It's very serious. Yeah, there will be no winners if you, you know, if they decide to go forward with this. He was being very frank. I mean, yeah, they're very serious about it, you know, and. If your viewers will do more research on how much time we have to get into it, but there was an agreement that we signed with Russia, remember, Mm -hmm. um, that was not renewed under Trump for the very fact that he didn't want to get in the middle between him and Ukraine, between Russia and Ukraine. Because at the end of the day, we have to sit here and say we cannot keep choosing sides. Right. We, we have to put America first because we're not strong as we need to be anymore. And if you have a weak president like Biden, who's going to come in and pull out of Afghanistan, you and I probably won't disagree that we don't want to be in Afghanistan anymore. But the way you do it is important. Yes. And even Biden wanted to say today, well, we had to leave, we had to leave. And I'm like, that's not the argument. The argument is the way in which you did it. And so when you sit there and you play semantics with the American people, we, we're starting to get very disgusted. That's why his polling numbers are so low. Oh, we're, yeah. not, we're not stupid. We see the the shifting of the hands that he's doing here. And, and I, listen, I don't even know who ties his shoes in the morning, so I hate to be so rough on him. They're Velcro. But, <laughs> or they're Velcro. <laughs> That's a good one. Those are the They're Velcro for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We only way to make, make it strong again, to answer your question very specifically, is we have to have leadership. We, we sure have to have do. Leadership at the helm. 
Well, everything from from him being in charge, quote unquote, to the leadership of our military, who is doing nothing but to decimate the lethality of our fighting forces. Like, you're going to seriously consider kicking out what percentage of uh, our Navy SEALs for over some uh, vaccination mandate? The ones that are, are, are mobilized and moving all over the world at all times is essentially a third. Yeah. So, I mean, well, when you have China in the White House, well, a China puppet, yeah, kind of makes sense. And and then you have to think one thing, a lot of people aren't talking about it. I may be trying to push my newest Substack, but it's certainly something one thing's talking that no one's talking about. We're talking about Russia and Ukraine. These two countries have been the centerpiece of the last two biggest scandals that people Mm -hmm. in the Democratic Party have completely invented and thrown these countries under the bus for the last five or six years regarding Donald Trump. Everything from the not perfect phone call to Russiagate. You think that someone who was at the centerpiece as Barack Obama's VP is going to be able to get in the middle of this and like at his mental capacity now mediate this. You need your head examined, not Joe Biden, because it's not happening. So it's one of those things. Listen, Suzanne. It has been awesome getting to know you today. We would love to have you back after after the primary as we feel that you're going to be the person that's going to best represent uh, Texas 3. We ask people and try to vet them as far as being America first. You're a businesswoman that's lived, you know, six generations in Texas. Both of your kids are literally doing things to make America great again, combating human trafficking and then, you know, working with uh, Madison Cawthorn in the House of Representatives. And you would be an amazing addition to the uh, – to the house after the midterms and we wish you nothing but the best after the primaries we look to have you back why don't you tell our listening audience where they can go and support you your congressional website and social medias please yes thank you i appreciate you guys for having me at suzanneforcongress.com and at real suzanne harp on twitter and facebook um suzanneforcongress.com or suzanne harp um i would love all your support as you know again voting starts monday early voting march one is the deadline so appreciate you guys. Look forward to seeing you again. Yeah, we appreciate you. And we're going to live link everything in the show description today and send it your way so you can share it as well. We'll be tagging you on uh, Twitter and Instagram throughout the week with uh, an exclusive clip that we'll cut up of this interview. And and like I said, hopefully after the uh, the March 1st uh, primary, you guys get all situated to get back out on the campaign trail and we'll have you back. This is the woman who's looking to represent Texas 3 in the midterm elections. Suzanne Harp, thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you. All right, coming in next today. On this busy Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, a um, little bit of switching gears. We've been uh, hot and heavy with politics for the first 90 minutes of the show. And now we're going to take it down and talk about something that's almost equally, if not more important. And that's uh, taking care of yourself in all ways possible. You may know our next guest uh, on Twitter is BabyGravy9. He's put <laughs> out some some major publications, including the Man's World Annual and uh, the Cookbook. The Raw Egg Nationalist is joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Ren, thanks for jumping on with us. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Oh, the pleasure's all ours. How's everything going with you, sir? Uh, I'm busy, as always. I'm just so, so busy. I have very little time to myself, but I'd uh, I'd prefer that over the alternative, to be honest with you. There you go. Look, yeah. at, look at us being selfish, cutting into your busy schedule to have you join us and our listeners. No, not at today. all. Not at all. No, we really appreciate you taking the time to come out with us. So yeah. let's jump right into it. Uh, the Raw Egg Nationalist. Let's talk about the whole idea behind what is your publications. You could talk about Man's World, the cookbook. Let's let's let our listening audience really dive into this with you. Okay, so uh, maybe I should uh, 
I should give you an introduction to Roig nationalism. Roig nationalism, um, as the name suggests, combines the uh, consumption of large quantities of raw eggs uh, in the manner of Vince Gironda, who was a, a classic bodybuilder, who's actually my avatar on Twitter and yes. my avatar, if you can see it on the podcast. Um, so it combines the consumption of large quantities of raw eggs with uh, political nationalism. And uh, although that might sound like a, might sound like a slightly strange combination and, and uh, warrant it probably is, um, there, there is actually more to it than that. And uh, I like to oppose raw egg nationalism to what I call soy globalism, <laughs> which I think uh, that's the uh, that's the alternative. Well, that's the uh, that's the mirror image of raw egg nationalism. And I'm sure I probably don't need to go into too much detail sure to don't. tell you what soy globalism is. But that is that is the enemy. Uh, globalist politics, uh, hideous sort of soy-based processed food, plant-based diets, uh, emasculation, all that sort of stuff. Whereas the opposite is uh, is Roig nationalism is looking after yourself, creating a strong a strong nation by creating strong individuals through the consumption of foods, powerful foods like eggs in particular. Hmm. No, that makes a, a whole lot of sense. And when you lay it out there like that, Listen, am I going to start eating raw eggs after this? Yeah, I want to see you, you drink should. some before this show's over. I'll give it a, oh, about that myself. I think I I'm got like some a... eggs in the fridge. There you go. Red, I, I, I really can't understand it. I'm in my mid-40s right now. When I grew up, you would see, let's just say, commercials on television. I'm going to go with one of the classics, Mr. T cereal. Mr. T was, you know, power-packed, super muscly. I eat your cereal, fool. That's it. He would run through the wall, but his breakfast would include a sugary was, bowl of cereal, guy. two slices of toast, two pieces of sausage, two slices of bacon, some eggs, juice, and milk as part of a complete breakfast, in addition to all the other stuff you were going to eat over the day. After the 80s and into the 90s, we got kind of a little bit, you know, fitter in the United States. We had a lot of those just like, oh, carnivore diet and Atkins and all that stuff. And now it just seems like in the last 15 years, especially here in the U.S., probably in the U.K. as well, because there's a lot of similarities between our, you know, uh, nations in regards to like what the population's doing. We've just gone to like complete junk if it's not processed it's not natural. And, and those are the only two things that, that are getting like thrown at the public to, in an attempt to just overall weaken people, make them sick, open to cancers and, and, and heart disease and all that other stuff. Where did we go wrong here? It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, it does seem like we're tending more and more to extremes. You, you do, as you say, you have this sort of uh, popular diet, which is almost entirely processed now. It's just crap. It's it's all you know. It's it's been it's been through however many however many different um, industrial processes to be created, yeah. um, and it and it's almost like it's almost like um, you know. I mean, people people get their morality these days totally from corporations, totally from their from their consumer purchases, and uh, it's almost like you know, for most people as as well as having their minds colonized by corporate uh corporations and their products and they've had their they've had their diets totally totally colonized by corporations and their um hellish products too yeah um and people people just don't seem to have people just don't seem to trust i suppose they don't seem to trust their instincts that's that's one of the things that surprises me is that people actually think that eating that way is better than eating natural whole foods but they do um I mean, I, 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 I think that the vast majority of what passes for nutritional information or nutritional wisdom 
nowadays is is nonsense and 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 has been for a long time but it does only seem to be getting worse uh especially with these plant-based diets these sort of ersatz ersatz foods that are ersatz um you know replacement meat products that are being made beyond meat impossible burger all that kind of stuff i mean it's actually it's definitely getting worse i mean all, all the information is out there that people need to that people need to know about about nutrition and diets you, this amazing resource the internet um but people are just relying more and more it seems on on these sort of um hellish products of these uh corporations that have no interest in in people's in people's health at all it's just the bottom line for them that matters um and, that, and that's that's precisely one of the things that i'm trying to fight with great nationalism yeah and it's been an extremely popular movement and, and, and is critically important. Now let's talk about, you, you had mentioned in the beginning about building a strong society. Before we get into the politics stuff real quick, um, we'll explain to our listenership what the importance of getting back to those natural diets, those healthy diets that's going to do to improve the overall, not just well-being, but like strength as as nations around the globe when 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 people are eating and, and doing things like exercise and, and taking care of themselves and getting away from those crap diets the right way. What what how does that, you know, reinvigorate the population to to kind of advance other things that, you know, we're getting all so bogged down in right now, the television, the cell phones, video games and all that junk. Hmm. Well, I, th- I mean, I think that I think that uh, I think that uh, these appalling diets that people eat are part and parcel of a more general culture of dependency that is fostered by corporations and by governments uh, around the world. I mean, it's 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 very obviously the case, for instance, that uh, this appalling uh, nonsense that we've been through for the past two years has been made so much worse by the fact that. You know, so many people are horribly unhealthy, are overweight, uh, often, you know, seriously overweight, deficient in various different um, vitamins and minerals and uh, things like vitamin D, for instance, which has been shown to to be so critical in immune function um, and to be able to, to um, you know, I mean, there are studies that show that vitamin D, vitamin D administration can reduce people's susceptibility to coronavirus massively in fact i think there's a, a series of studies in spain that were done um so yeah so we have this we have this uh culture of dependency on the state and on corporations to uh you know to to provide the to provide ad hoc treatments when in fact actually what wouldn't things be different if people actually took control of their lives, were encouraged to take control of their lives, encouraged right. to eat the right foods, um, eat local foods as well? Um, uh, you know, I mean, I, I get the vast majority of my food from a farm shop down the road. Nice. I can see, I can see the chickens that lay the eggs. <laughs> I see the, I see the cows that that produce the raw milk. Um, Lovely. You know, organic organic vegetables meat from the farm as well and then i go to local butchers and and um grocers and things like that i mean that is that is i think uh that's the model of the past but that's also i think that should be the model for the future and uh i'm actually writing a new book at the moment called the the eggs benedict option which is uh, a bit of a a bit of a riff on the rod dreher book the benedict option but it's about one of the things 
primarily it's about the great reset and uh the kind of um the relationship i suppose between uh between food and power throughout history and in particular the way that food control of control of food and the agri- agricultural system is going to function within the great reset as it's laid out by the people who like klaus schwab who are you know sort of behind it um but one of the things that I talk about is the Russian system of uh, household gardening, which doesn't actually get a lot of which doesn't actually get a lot of um, doesn't get a lot of publicity, but is actually very important. So I think it's something like well, it's over fifty percent of the food that is consumed by value in Russia is produced by ordinary people mm. in their gardens on three percent of the total land under tillage. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing. I I I found this uh, doctoral thesis uh, by a by a researcher about the whole system, and I've been reading it and and sort of uh, and I'm going to include a long section in the book about it as an alternative to basically to the global industrial agricultural system as it stands now, with its you know massively extended supply chains and you know an emphasis on international production of food rather than local people centered production of food and and that is that is kind of the model that i i would like us to get back to and i think that it would it would entail not only serious beneficial social changes but also beneficial political changes too which would you know involve for instance giving more power to people on the local level right uh, that's a, that, that's extremely important, and when you talk about like the uh, the whole system that goes into keeping a community well fed and healthy, and uh, you know being sustained by you, you mentioned you could see everything you know essentially grown or laid or or cut up of uh, from your house that that goes into a lot of the stuff that you consume. There's like you know anything from the getting uh, some immunity from honey you're eating from bees all the way down to you know strengthening your system to to local, uh, you know, things that could harm your body by eating the meats and eggs and milks of uh, the animals that live in that area. It's, it's critically important. They, they try to promote it here in the United States a little bit via farmer's markets and stuff like that, but sometimes you have to be able to uh, tolerate the, uh, you know, demographic of people who are selling the stuff to you to actually buy all the good stuff. Yeah. But uh, Not to mention the pricing sometimes is just exorbitant on, on those places. I mean, I understand that they're putting a lot more work into it, but sometimes it's like, come on, lady. Hey, she's, she's, she's turning her own butter. I bet she is. There you go. Ren, let, let's jump into your political views a little bit. Obviously, you know, nationalism is something that is uh, in, in a lot of places around the world being reinvigorated. We're seeing mass protests, protests to, uh, you know, the COVID lockdowns. We're seeing what's going on in uh, the capital of Canada over in Ottawa right now with uh, Truckapalooza here in the United States. You know, there was some funny business that went on with the elections here. And now we've got a red wave of America first grassroots candidates who really don't have a lot of political affiliation looking to take back the House and the Senate and, and stop the Biden regime here in the States. You guys got your own little uh, issues going on in the UK right now. You know, Boris Johnson, uh, two, one too many wine and cheese parties for uh, the, the rest of the, uh, you know, um, House's uh, liking now, and, and and he may be up to lose his job. What, what, what do you think, uh, does it give you hope to see a lot of, like, 
patriotic nationalism around the world being invigorated as a pushback to, uh, as you called it, the soy globalist movement, the Klaus Schwabs of the world who are trying to get us to that one world you'll own nothing and eat crickets um, thing right now that we're seeing, which uh, is pretty unprecedented to talk about in years past. This is, this is things that you might have seen in a country that was going through a revolution in like the 70s or 80s or 90s here and there, but we're seeing it worldwide now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, I really wouldn't like to be the one to make any predictions about the immediate future. I mean, who knows? It's uh, well, look at what's happened today with, uh, or in the past few hours with Russia, with the Israelis and 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 us and other countries saying that that uh, you know British and uh, Israeli citizens and citizens of other nations should be withdrawing from Ukraine now. I mean, I, who who knows what's going to happen? But. Right. Um, as far as the, the the nationalist upsurge goes, I mean, I, yes, I, I think it's uh, I think it's long overdue. I think it's long overdue. Uh, one of the things that I worry about is that is that what will happen is that, especially say in the US, that these that these organic grassroots movements movements that harness you know the, the sort of genuine the genuine feelings and the genuine the genuine anger and, and, and energy of ordinary people will be captured by the system. That's, that's, I think the problem. I mean, I think that the, I think that the Republican Republican party, two party system in the U S two party system in the UK is no longer fit for purpose, but Agreed. it's very, very di- It's very, very difficult to know how to, what to do with these movements outside that system or how, how they can change that system. And of course, people are going to say, well, you can only change the system from within. But I think there's, there's a, well, you only need to look at what happened during the Trump presidency to see right. how easy it is to nullify even somebody with as, as much charisma and as much support as, as Donald Trump had. I mean, he achieved some things. I think he achieved some some important things, but actually, it's quite hard to point to concrete things that he was that he was really able to do. I mean, when I think of I think of someone like Viktor Orban in Hungary, who has done some interesting things, although his record on the on the pandemic hasn't been so good. Right. Um, in fact, it's been incredibly disappointing. But. Um, I mean, what I would like to see is I'd like to see people putting forward measures like the kind of thing that uh, Orban did in Hungary, where he was trying to encourage young Hungarian couples to have children and, a, you know, a good number of children to yeah. these tax breaks that he was offering. I mean, I'll, I'll be I'm optimistic, but I will be I will be happier when we start to see concrete populist nationalist measures like that outside places like Hungary instead of just instead of just this sort of um, a change in rhetoric because it's, it's it's obvious that there has been a change of uh, a change of rhetoric that politicians are using but I'm, I'm I'm waiting to see concrete measures that really make a difference yeah it's uh it's good to see some movement but like you said there would have to be some real concrete measures some real strong leaders not just in places like the UK and the US right now that would that would need to continue to rise up, support what would what we call here the nuclear family and, and, and a nice big 
well, I guess it's the only thing you can call fat one of those because you want to have as many kids as you can and make your country nice and strong. You shouldn't have to worry about importing immigration and, and stuff like that to, uh, you know, circumvent anything in any country. And at the same time, you want to be able to, uh, you know, make just the world a great again because right now we're we're kind of at a low point i think globally with all the hot spots flaring up combined with coming out of coronavirus the pushback from you know the globalist regimes all over the place and then whatever else they can invent between now and tomorrow um Brent, why don't you give our listenership a little bit of advice you know just the little things they could start to do right now moving forward that that's going to make their lives a little bit better and, and maybe take a step back things that are they may not necessarily be easy to do, but things that you think are, are, are critically important to just kind of getting into a better lifestyle and, and living a healthier life. Of course. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, in the simplest terms, I think you can make a serious change to your life if you take control of your diet. And I'll, I'll go into this a bit more in a second. If you take control of your diet, if you exercise and you get enough rest, um, those are three areas. I think if you make, if you start to make changes in your life, in those areas, serious changes in your life, then your life will be unrecognizable pretty soon if you if you keep them up. So, as far as diet goes, I think the first thing that's worth saying is bin all processed food. Stop eating processed food. Um, and I mean, processed food really means and anything that you buy from the supermarket that doesn't come in in its sort of natural form. So up to and including bread um, and, and things that you might consider to be basic staples, well, they're processed too. Um, I mean, processed food is bad for all sorts of reasons. One of the things that's, that's especially bad about processed food is that it contains vegetable oils. And vegetable oils are probably one of the worst, probably one of the worst uh, things you can eat full stop, but they are everywhere. They're in all processed food, along with lots of sugar and all sorts of other, um, all sorts of other nasty things. So, so take control of your diet, rely on the kind of whole food sources that human beings have eaten since the beginning of time. That's, that's my, that's, that's, I think, a, a very good place to start. Learn how to cook if you can't cook. And that's, that's one of the reasons why I made a cookbook yep. because I think that I think that that is actually an incredibly, it's an incredibly empowering thing to be able to cook good food for yourself and not have to rely on other people to, to provide you with food that you actually want to eat because it's not that hard. It's just that a lot of people aren't taught or most people aren't really taught these days how to cook. So whether at school or at home. So yes, take control of your diet, get back to natural whole food sources um, as, as, as close to untouched by human hands as, as you can, as you can get. Uh, and if you're not exercising, start exercising. You don't have to, uh, I mean, my, I would advocate, especially for men, you should be lifting weights. Um, you know, if you're, if you are a, uh, at present, uh, a sort of um, uh, a citizen of the soy globalist regime, then you are likely to have <laughs> low testosterone, and um, you know the only way that you're going to get around, that you're going to change that, is by firstly eating properly, and secondly, lifting weights, doing something to stimulate the production of testosterone, um, and then finally, yes, I, I said rest. 
get get enough sleep. It's amazing how many people don't get enough sleep, and uh, sleep sleep is incredibly important for men and women in terms of their um, hormonal regulation, especially. And um, yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's a study, for instance, um, that suggests that getting better sleep can double your testosterone levels. Oh yeah. Um, uh, and it's the same with women. It's it's you know it's essential for regulation of uh, estrogen and, and all the other hormones. So if you can if you can focus on those three things, I think uh, they'll carry you a long way. And, th- and then there are other things that we could talk about, like you know don't look at pornography, all that sort of stuff. But um, those are three things that everybody everybody can focus on easily. Um, start with, those are the perfect three things to start with and then from there on it's it's you know more smooth sailing sort of thing yeah. yeah well i think i think what you find is that once you start to make beneficial changes they cascade yeah that's something that that people that people are always surprised i think to discover is that actually once you start to make changes once you start to push your life in the right direction you gather momentum and you're yeah. You know, it carries you further and further and faster and faster until actually you're so far away from the person you were a year ago or two years ago that, um, you know, you might as well be a different person. Exactly. And at that point, you'll be ready to take on some of the uh, globalist soy lords. <laughs> exactly. So, right. Exactly. I, I like it. Ren, this has been awesome getting to know you today. It's definitely a shift of gears for our show, but something that has been, in my opinion, long overdue. Wait, I think we need to touch on the, the raw eggs part. Well, yeah. Can you give Noah a, a, a dummies guy to starting raw eggs? Yeah. He's, he's ready to go. Yeah. Uh, no, you've, you've got to do it. You've got to do it. So it's um, basically it's um, it was a thing that all the golden era bodybuilders were doing, mm-hmm. uh, mainly at the behest of Vince Geronda, who is my avatar, who was a sort of maverick uh, trainer and bodybuilding competitor. And basically the he hit on this idea on the basis of, actual research, I mean, like scientific research from the time, that um, consuming large quantities of raw eggs is basically the the closest you can come to doing steroids without taking steroids. Right. Oh. Mm. And uh, it's as much about the protein, though, this is the interesting thing, it's as much about the protein, uh, or rather it's much, as much about the cholesterol as it is about the protein. So this is something that people that people don't realize is that it's not just about the protein, it's about cholesterol. And um, uh, there have actually been quite a few studies uh, done in recent years that substantiate the idea that cholesterol is an anabolic substance and is actually possibly even more important to building muscle mass than protein. Hmm. Um, anyway, but if you want to start, then um, the most palatable way to to knock back raw eggs is to knock them back in the what I call the Vince Gironda shake, which is his sort of um, was his kind of signature shake. So you mix raw eggs with uh, milk and cream in equal quantities. So he called it half and half, so half cream, half milk, and then you add maybe some honey or some maple syrup or something to taste, and that basically is a milkshake um it tastes it tastes delicious uh you don't have any of the ick factor that you have with uh if you're just knocking back raw eggs on their own although a lot of people do just knock back raw eggs on their own 
but that is uh, that's the most palatable way to do it. Should I try um, that when we get off with him? See if I can kick down some raw eggs right now. I don't want you to throw up. How, many, last e- how, many, eggs, <laughs> how many eggs do you usually put in one of your shakes? Uh, I normally have uh, three three sets of six. So throughout the day. day. That's a lot of eggs. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good to but, know. But I mean, you can start off, you can do one, you can do two. Right. Right. Um, I, th- I think if what you're looking, to, it depends what you're looking to do. I mean, I think you will, eggs are a superfood yeah. and it, and people should be eating eggs because, uh, you know, they're containing an incredible array of, of um, you know, vitamins and minerals, cholesterol, protein, fats. They're, they're super, they really are a superfood. Yeah. But if you're looking to, to build some muscle mass, then yeah, if, if you start knocking back 12, 12 plus raw eggs a day, you're going to, you will feel and see the difference very, very quickly. And, you know, I mean, that's the only reason that I started, that I started doing this is because I, I started knocking back raw eggs and I couldn't believe, I just couldn't believe the, that it actually worked. And it really does work. Because you lose a lot of nutrients when you cook stuff too, right? Is yeah. that part of the, part of the raw part? Well, there's this debate about whether or not you should, whether or not you um, consume or can ingest more of the protein when you cook the egg or when it's raw. And it may, I think it possibly is the case that actually you get more of the protein if you cook an egg. And so what you can do if, if you're concerned about that is you can flash boil the eggs for about sort of one to two minutes and then blend them up. And then you still have a, you still have a raw yolk, but the whites are set. Mm. So you get the, the protein, the cooked protein, but um, because most of the protein is in the white. Yeah. Uh, but the thing about, I mean, the thing about taking them raw is that you can consume them in such quantities. There's no way that you're going to eat 18 boiled eggs a day. I mean, <laughs> it's just, it's disgusting. You know, watch Cool Hand Luke if you don't believe me. It's, it's, no, no, it's no fun eating Nobody large quantities eggs. of cooked eggs. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Ren, these publications, these books that you've done are, are, are critical mass, pun intended, uh, to getting this this world back on, on, on a healthier lifestyle and, and destroying the uh, soy globalist movement. Where can we find them? We're going to live link it in our show description today, but let our listening audience know. Okay, so um, all of my links, links to all of my books, podcast appearances are available uh, at my lnk.bio um, profile because I got kicked off Linktree. So it's lnk.bio slash raw egg nationalist. And that has links to my books on Amazon because my paperback books are on Amazon. And then also links to my books with Antelope Hill publisher because I've got two hardback books with them. And uh, then links to the magazine as well, which is online, which I haven't actually talked about. But Man's World is my magazine and it's uh, just think of think of, think of uh, Playboy, but updated for the massively massively online world of 2022 based Playboy, basically. Oh, I like it. Nice. That's what uh, some people in the podcasting business would call a real game changer. Yeah. So listen, <laughs> this has been awesome getting to know you and 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 hear your voice Thank today you. and, and your heart and of course your muscles. Um, and we will at some <laughs> point in the future look to sit down. You know what? Maybe next time we have Noron, we could do a little bit of roundtable with you guys. Yeah. I think I think we've got enough room for uh, does Nor eat raw eggs? Huh? Does Nor eat raw eggs? Well, she is quite fit. Yeah. So I, I guess we'll, I'll, I'll have to ask her after the show. But ladies and gentlemen, this is the. Uh, the author of all these great publications and books, Ren, more commonly known as the Raw Egg Nationalist. Thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
Well, that was a, quite a busy first half of the show, and I say first half because we still have a whole second half of the show, you know, coming up for you guys right now. Those are some great guests. Uh, definitely set a tone with our first two segments and then switched gears into something. Now I'm going to say it is equally important, and that's taking care of yourself. And, uh, you know, no, you're going to have to go back through the, the – I might go get some raw eggs right now. Well, first of all, I want to see you do it. (laughs) Secondly, we're going to have to cut a clip. Ren's accent and the way he puts it, we need a soy globalist button. Yeah. So just to be able to insert in somewhere. Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) It it might be sad to see one of the good ones go. Definitely not Mr. Garrison, don't worry. But uh, it's going to be one of those things that we need to uh, hit it and hit it hard and go, uh, you know, full go on the globalist. Not just in the political spectrum, but in the taking care of yourself spectrum. Listen, you can't win wars if you uh, look like me without a shirt on. I'll put it to you, you know, like that. (laughs) So... You're a warrior. Speaking of people that usually don't have shirts on. I believe in you. Crackheads? <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw this week, but it, it came up just when you thought this administration. Not to hijack the crackhead uh, thing right now. Go but, ahead. Um, we just had a delivery here mm-hmm. at the studio. Oh, you did? From uh, my pillow. Mm. Got some keys of dream sheets, some towels. Something about crack. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. Well, yes, but in a nice way. So we actually have Mike Lindell's soft cover book, which is Pretty amazing. It's got a hologram cover, but it's yeah, really creepy because the way the way I have the book uh, sitting up on the uh, table inside the studio here, all I have is like Mark Lindell's crackhead driver's license photo staring at me right now. So it's gonna Mark or Mike? And, and I say from, Mark, Mike. From my <laughs> angle, I, I see the nice humble pillow former that we all come to know and love. From my yeah, angle, it's a little creepy is, on my side. We could switch it to the other side of the table next week, so I have to look at uh, Nick's favorite Mike Lindell. Yeah, the the Jesse Ventura version. Back to where we were before. Well, we're we're not too far away. Crack pipes. It was a thing this week. It came from the Biden regime, and just when you thought they couldn't do anything more fucked up to this country, and during Black History Month. They're going to be distributing, possibly, clean crack pipes in their... What a stupid son of a bitch. In their Save an Addict uh, kits. I don't... It's like... like I, I, I can't even believe it. It's like, What's it's your tax dollars like, at work, A? $30 million, and it's to yeah. promote racial equality and drug use. But that's... With, like it's, it's crazy to me at this point if the black population doesn't see this for what it is. It's like, what the hell? I actually... Look at us as like all of us as crackheads. Hmm, great. Mm-hmm. On Black History. <laughs> I kind of uh, lifted my posting embargo on Instagram okay. lately, and I've been posting a little bit of uh, fire crack- content. Crack related? You memes? might say, no, not crack related specifically, but, you know, I've gotten a couple uh, messages like, uh, sorry, where is it? Anyway, uh, uh, probably a lot of your liberal followers are having meltdowns right now and questioning their identities after mm. all the truth you've been posting. And then I did lose about five followers to be expected, really? but I actually had somebody try to, uh, defend the crack pipes. Really? No. Yeah. This is, no. this is pretty good. Um, they of course used, uh, Snopes as their, their quoting. They're stuck in 2016. Stop it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yeah. I posted, uh, you know, just something saying that uh, they were they were giving out crack pipes and smoking kits or whatever. And I get the, it's true that the grant description required provision of smoking kits, an established component of harm reduction strategy. But in reality, those kits constituted just one of several subcomponents of an even longer list of requirements for grant recipients. In other words, while outrage media covered 
coverage focused almost exclusively on crack pipes. This was actually only a small part of the program. Snopes. Well, you know what I have to say to that? And then the rest of the message goes, but you should totally sensationalize this because Hillary's emails. There you go. Wow. You know what? That part, okay, yeah. And then and then the next one, the next one was uh the Biden uh you know the 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 happy face, sad face meme with the the rapper. What was it? The The Drake. The Drake one, yeah. Yeah. And it was the uh student loan forgiveness and then free crack pipes. There you go. Yeah. But and then if they went to how about your boy Trump car- carting boxes of public records away to his dumpy ass joint in Florida? Where's the outrage? Hey, listen, don't, don't spoil it. We're going to get into Toilet Gate later. Yeah. And you want to know what? After careful consideration. I just wanted to reply with you mad, bro. And taking the context of what you just told me, I have opted to participate in the outrage media. Let's hear Bill Hemmer break Crackgate. Nice. The Biden administration now moving to make it easier for drug users to light up and get high on crack and crystal meth. A new Uh-oh. program will hand out needles and pipes, along with safe sex kits. Now including Astroglide. Drug use safer while promoting racial equity. Also, mm. they want to hand out the pipes so you don't inject. Louisiana Senator John Kennedy is a Republican on the Judiciary Committee. And Senator, good morning. Don't they hand out needles you. elsewhere? Uh, does this work? Bill, they're almost not words in English. Um, <laughs> the Biden administration, just they just keep on rocking it. In the free world. Oh, I, I mean, was about to say that. Every single day, reality calls, and the Biden administration just hangs up. <laughs> um, I don't think when moms and dads lie down at night in America and can't sleep, they're worried about clean injection sites and sterile crack pipes. To say it. I love when he chimes in. <laughs> Only the way that he can. Yeah. I almost finished that sentence for him. I didn't know he was going there. It's just embarrassing. The the uh, the outrage. What they call it, the outrage media outrage reaction would would make it to the House of Representatives, where uh, I'm sorry, the Senate, where Roger Marshall from Kansas weighed in a little bit more fiery. Let's hear uh, his take on it. I got two words for America today: crack pipes, <laughs> crack pipes, not crack pots. Did any of us ever think, sitting in our senior year in high school at our government class, that we'd be part of a nation where its government gives crack pipes out as as a tool to, in just a permissive society? I don't think any of us would have ever thought that our socialistic government would do something like that. As I finished up some town halls this past weekend, 15 town halls, I can tell you I've never seen Americans so upset. I've never seen so much fervor. I thought Joe Biden had bottomed out at the end of last year, but I'm (laughs) telling you, he's still searching for the bottom of his popularity right now. Oof. Not even a damn? He's almost there. He's getting pretty close. Well, I mean, this is reality. $30 $30 million worth of your taxpayer money is going to be going to floating junkies to a cleaner high. Can we just not spend our money on bullshit anymore? Like, I understand that some people think this is important. And yes, it is, it is sad that there's a, a drug epidemic, but like, nobody let's be really reasonable. gives a shit about this. Uh, come on, let's be real. Even the left, like. How about not paying people to be homeless? Exactly. All that money that can put toward, you know, you know, people in poverty, you know, helping them buy food and, and 
getting them healthy and off drugs. This is ridiculous. Yeah, they there's, just a, want there's, zombies. A, there's a clip I listened to the other day, and it was a, I think it was a homeless person in San Francisco. Okay. And Sounds it was pretty standard. literally him having a, a interview with the news personality or somebody that was doing some sort of expose on it, saying that he gets paid upwards of $600 a month to be homeless, uh, basically. Yes, yes, I, I think I know what you're talking about. And some 15 year old kid came kids came up and wanted him to buy him buy them drugs or tell them where they could get oxycontin or something like that and he literally says that he went and got them fentanyl showed them yeah. how much it was how much he uses oh and then taught God. them how to use narcan to save each other's lives and no. his his basis was you know I'm not going to be able to stop him from doing it so I might as well show them what real drugs are and then how to save their lives. Disgusting. That's literally a demon trying to suck other innocent souls down with him. And it was so it was just so nonchalant and just like matter of factly, just like, what the fuck? Seriously, this is where we're at? And it's true because they have these programs that are literally making it more beneficial for somebody. The guy literally says, I mean, we might as well just fucking pull the audio at this point, but the guy literally says that why would I work? Why would I want to go pay rent? Right. I just re- I just posted an article yesterday that I read of a man from Texas, homeless man, moved to San Francisco because he said their policies, the liberal policies, like they pay me eight fifty a month and I've got um, like, you know, I don't have any bills. I stay homeless, but they've got the shelters that he could take advantage of. They've got injection booths there and just so much more. Like it's an incentive for these people. It's it's bizarre. Yeah, it certainly is. And when you just think about the whole premise of it, it just, it makes absolutely no sense. Oh, so here, I got the, uh, I've got the audio, so it's going to be uh, a little poorly uh, quality, but here it comes. Where are you from? Uh, Louisiana, Texas. How long have you been in San Francisco? Since uh, June. You're going to be homeless. It's pretty fucking easy here. I mean, if we're going to be realistic and pay you to be homeless here. When you said that San Francisco pays people to be homeless, what did you mean by that? Did you mean that literally? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I get 620 bucks a month, dude. From general assistance? Yeah. Or what'd you get? How was that hard to get? Fucking phone call, bro. A wow. Fucking phone call. 200 food stamps and 620 bucks cash a month. Wow. Forget about it. Why wouldn't I do it? You know, it's fucking free money, dude. Yep. This right now is, is literally by choice literally by choice like why would i want to pay rent i'm not doing shit i got a fucking cell phone that i have amazon prime and netflix on we used to battle with the cops now it's like the cops are it's like they're your neighbor you know the cops told us uh this morning like oh it'd be easier if you guys packed up in the morning we wouldn't have to come out here and i'm like what are you talking about he's like pack up your shit in the morning i'm like why you know it's like, oh, okay, and then went on his two kids came up and they're like, hey, you guys know where to get the Oxycontin? They're like, I'm 15 and I'm 16, you know, like, I'm an old school junkie, you know? And I'm like, uh, look, dude, I'm going to tell you right now, like, you're not going to get Oxycontin out here on the street. I was like, how much money are you trying to spend? And they're like, we got $40. And I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I am going to take your money. And I went and I got a fentanyl. And I fucking brought it back and I set it down in front of them and I said, this is a gram of fentanyl. This is enough to kill six people that have never used it. 
what I do to get high is this much, and I show them how much I do. I was like, I'm keeping your money, and now I'm going to teach you how to save each other's lives because you're not going to fucking stop. I can't steer you away from doing it, but the best thing I can do for you now is give you real drugs and show you how to do it properly and show you how to save your friend's life. And I showed him how to pull up Narcan and how to inject each other with the Narcan needle. Just absolutely ridiculous. Like, that's amazing. That makes me so sick to my stomach. And you can tell this guy's made some sweet biker meth in his life because he's got, like, the wicked, like, biker mustache beard thing. Mm. Of course, he's wearing a Carhartt shirt, so, you know, there's that clientele. He's he's an old-school addict or whatever. What do you say? Old-school? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's just really, you know, like Antoinette said, stomach-wrenching and, and awful to hear. And unfortunately, that's not an isolated incident. That's something that's pretty, I guess you would call it, running rampant across our country now. Um, well, the guy's got a tent, uh-huh. a phone. He's it, watching Netflix. Like a luxury tent? It's Amazon a, it's a, Prime. It's a nice, it's a nice tent. <laughs> oh, yeah. Amazon Prime, yeah. Uh, they, but you you've seen Amazon photos. delivers to them at his tent? Well, yeah. All he has to do is just put the business address of wherever he's in front of or whatever the parking lot address is. And then just be like, I'm in the blue tent in front on the delivery notes. Oh my word. I would assume I can only imagine if we have any, uh, delivery drivers listening. If you, if you've delivered to a homeless encampment, we'd be interested to hear from you. Well, once this narrative got out of control and, and they ran with it, no one was safe and who better to talk about and weigh in on the first son, cracky McCrackerson himself, Hunter Biden was Tucker Carlson. Joe Biden's latest idea is to pay black people to smoke more crack. <laughs> Going forward, the administration will send at least $30 million in tax money to nonprofits and local governments so they can purchase, quote, safe smoking kits and supplies. According to HHS, supplies these kits will crack? contain Joe Biden-approved pipes that will allow beneficiaries of the equity agenda to smoke crack cocaine as well as crystal meth. Some say it's about time. Soros-aligned NGOs have long complained that marginalized groups in this country don't have adequate access to illegal narcotics or the tools to use them. With this new program, Joe Biden will finally close the crack gap. For too long in America, quality crack pipes have been the domain of rich white men like so much else. Here's the president's son, for example, smoking crack in bed at the Four Seasons. You'll notice the beautifully designed custom crack pipe. It's cooling bowl nestled in the high thread count Egyptian cotton sheet. (laughs) When Hunter Biden smokes crack, he does it in style. But not everyone in this country is so fortunate. Try to toast some rock in West Baltimore sometime. You may have to make the pipe yourself from tinfoil or a broken car antenna. Our inner cities are pipe deserts. He forgot light bulbs. Talk about the new Jim Crow. Bull Connor would be proud. Bull Connor didn't think black people deserved new crack pipes. Joe Biden's going to change that. Wow. Yeah. That was brutal. The, the side by side. And this clip is gone, right? It's, it's all wiped from the internet practically. The only ones that I could find in a pinch were ones where people were screen recording their own television. And there's like one that's going around right now where you could hear this lady as soon as like the picture of Hunter Biden comes up, she just starts fucking laughing and she's like, yeah, Oh no, he did not go there. That's Carly, <laughs> Va- that's Carly Vaughn, Midnight Rider on Telegram. She's amazing. She's hilarious. Yeah. So that, that was kind of a. Uh, you know where that one went, and and it was pretty interesting to see that 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 Tucky even went there, um, but leave it to the Biden administration to to walk back and say they're not doing everything that they physically and literally are doing. Our you fi- think Tucker sends out like a fake flight plan sometimes for his show? Oh yeah, <laughs> and just exactly. all of a sudden he's just he like, ah, "Got gotcha, you, bitch." We're gonna talk about cat fashion shows today. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, our least favorite human fire extinguisher, Jen Psaki, quickly took to the podium after news of this went through the news cycle. And what did they call it? Like uh, rage reactors or, or whatever. What were they? Did you say that that one guy commented? Outrage media or whatever? Oh, uh, sensationalized or something? I forget. The fact of the matter is... I've already just brain dumped the whole conversation. She wanted to put this narrative to bed and not in the same fashion that Tucker described, which was Hunter Biden passed out in the Four Seasons with a crack pipe in his mouth. Let's hear it. Thanks, Jen. Um, HHS just put out a statement clarifying um, around some reports uh, that crack pipes are not going to be part of the safe smoking kits that are funded by Mm -hmm. the administration. Um, But can you clarify for us, were they never a part of the kit or were they removed in response to this reporting and this pushback? They were never a part of the kit. It was inaccurate reporting and we wanted to put out information to make that clear. What is in the safe smoking kit? Uh, a safe smoking skin may contain alcohol swabs, lip balm, other materials to promote hygiene and reduce the transmission of diseases like Crack HIV pipes. and hepatitis. Mm. I would note that what we're really talking about here is steps that we're taking as a federal government to address the opioid epidemic, yeah, which is no. killing uh, tens of thousands, if not more, Americans uh, every single day, week, month of the year. Uh, we put out this statement, though, because there was inaccurate information out there. Or I should say HHS put out this statement because there was inaccurate information out there, and we wanted to provide clarification on the allowable uses for the HHS harm reduction program. It's not a change in policy. Uh, This program, though, is focused on harm reduction strategies, including prioritizing the use of fentanyl test strips and clean syringes. And all of these harm reduction services uh, that will be supported by these programs are are intended to save lives from an epidemic that we know is, uh, is devastating to communities across the country. So instead of dying of a fentanyl overdose or an accidental overdose from fentanyl, you will die a slower and much more painful death from crack and meth. But the crack pipe will be much more high quality, so you won't be Extremely cleaner. You deny that they were giving out crack pipes? Courtesy of this administration. Yeah. That, uh, but there's actual documentation saying that that is what the what kit I mean. included. Becerra walked it back and said that they weren't using. The big deal was this was $30 million of, pax, of taxpayer money that was directly tied into the last COVID relief package. So they just skimmed $30 million off the top and threw it right into the manufacturing of uh, cleaner needles and, 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 and fresh crack pipes, essentially. And he had to kind of walk that back that although they might not be removing the crack pipe from the kit, they probably wouldn't. No, they said that they never included it. Oh, it was included. There was some internal documents. So it's another case of Jen Psaki. Yeah, pathologically lying that they would might have to divert funds from other things or propose legislation to suggest that to combat the opioid crisis. This is the route we need to go cleaner, shinier crack pipes. To combat the opioid crisis. Where are they going to get the crack crack pipes? (laughs) Well, you got to get your own. Well, it's that guy. Just saying, imagine. Wouldn't they be getting it from the guy with the Amazon tent? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. (laughs) No, Good advertisement. (laughs) Yeah, he's probably made some biker meth in his day. Oh, he looks like he's made a lot of biker meth. What a delicacy. (laughs) Yeah. So hot right now. That and Carhartt. (laughs) (laughs) Love the product placement there. So after all this... Where do we stand now? We're on the verge of war uh, happening between Russia and Ukraine and in, in Eastern Europe. We have tons of other stuff going off all over the world, all while the distraction of, you know, the southern border and, and, and everything else wrong with the economy. We saw 
some of the worst inflation rates. Now it's it's more than forty, longer than I've been alive. Now I think it's it's, it's longer than I've been alive. It's seven point anywhere between seven point five and ten percent, depending on you know who you're polling and getting your information from. So any, before nineteen eighty or nineteen eighty one or something like that. Yeah, it's it, it, it's it's pretty awful right now. Ron Johnson jumped on with uh, Maria Bartiromo. Uh, yesterday to talk about some of the uh, glorious failures that this regime has incurred over the last year and uh, kind of give his take on it. The person really with the white flag is President Biden. You know, first or first day or two of office, what did he do? He canceled the Keystone XL pipeline. He relaxed sanctions on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which is a clear signal to Putin that we're going to be weak. We're, we're going to let you walk all over us. Now, I continue to wonder to what extent uh, President Biden is compromised, but just about every action he has taken as president has weakened America. He opens the border. We have an unbelievable, uh, out-of-control flow of illegal immigrants, out-of-control deficit spending, uh, 7% inflation to 40-year high, the embarrassing and dangerous surrender in Afghanistan. I mean, this is weakness. I mean, this is real weakness. He is weakening America. Our enemies perceive that. They're noticing it, and they're becoming more aggressive. They're taking advantage of situation. Russia surrounding Ukraine, China is overflying Taiwan, uh, Iran is getting more active in Yemen, North Korea is testing new weapons. Uh, this is across the board. Uh, the, the bad actors around the world are perceiving our weakness when America is not strong, and I agree with President uh, Reagan, you achieve peace through strength, but that strength starts with economic strength, mm -hmm. and President Biden is weakening our economy, he's weakening our military, he's weakening America. Yeah, he's not wrong. You hear any lies in there? Nope. No lies detected. <clears throat> it, it's really sad the state that the nation is right now in regards to especially our economy, which was doing so amazing. You know, I hate seeing the green ticker on the uh, bottom of the screen every day in regards to the stock market, knowing that all of those billionaire corporate assholes and globalists are just continuing to get richer because the only thing that's keeping the stock market in the high 34s and low 35s is the Amazons, the Walmarts, mm -hmm. you know, the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world even though he's taken a little hit in the pocket lately. Well, I think we can all agree that um, everything Joe Biden touches turns to crap. Ron Johnson kind of set us up for that. Ted Cruz weighed in to kind of... Did he touch Mitch McConnell's desk? He might have accidentally put his hand in and smeared across his uh, daily calendar, which we know Mitch McConnell probably <laughs> still uses. Obviously, we have a midterm election approaching. Even your buddy uh, Beto Bozo, who you defeated in, in your Senate race against him, all of a sudden the guy Boomer that wanted to confiscate activate. everybody's guns has changed his mind. Now Democrats are all of a sudden now, they were lifting the draconian COVID measures. All of a sudden they're distancing themselves from their own words on defunding, dismantling the police and ending no bail laws. Um, I would say that's called an election year conversion. What say you? Yeah, it's they can't defend their policies. They've realized they're wildly unpopular. And, and so now they're, they're running away from them. And absurdly, they're trying to claim they were never their policies to begin with. So again, at the White House press secretary stands up and says, you know, it's Republicans who wanted to abolish the police. What, what? garbage? Like, like, no sentient person believes that nonsense. I'm waiting for them to say, it was Republicans who put mask mandates in. I mean, they're just, they're about this far from saying that. And, and it's, I think people are fed up. They know that at this point they're desperate to say anything, but it's not going to work. November is going to be a tidal wave. Republicans are going to retake the House. I think we're going to retake the Senate also because people 
are, are fed up with policies that don't work, and we haven't even touched the disastrous economy, inflation out of control, the uh, chaos at the southern border, and the Energy. utterly incoherent weakness of foreign policy. Like, everything Biden touches goes to crap. Pretty much. Hmm. I think Noah likes that one. Pretty much. Well, you know, if Crack Pipe Palooza was going to open up the door for a, a dunk contest on Joe Byron, then, you know, one person who's always waiting to weigh in on that one is uh, our favorite governor, Big Dick Ron DeSantis. Yeah. Ron Johnson started it. Tag team, high five Ted Cruz, who uh, alluded to here comes Big Dick Ron DeSantis with a steel chair <laughs> when he wants to talk about how, hey, guess what? All this bullshit that you're doing with COVID now, I've been doing it since day one. You now hear a lot of uh, chatter in other states, you know, around the country about, oh, we're going to lift mass mandates on these little children as if somehow they've just had an epiphany or even some suggest the science has changed. <laughs> and let me just tell you, the science has not changed one iota. Uh, we knew from the beginning, and that's why Florida never imposed a mass for, force masking policy on school children, and that's why we fought to liberate the kids uh, from the force masking uh, that was done on the local level, uh, because there was never a justification for it. You know, if you look at what CDC and Biden's administration did, they are outliers in the rest of the world. You look at all the other industrialized countries, not one country was as absolutely insane about force masking kids as the United States government was. And I'm proud to say in Florida, you know, we stood up to the Biden administration, we stood with the parents, uh, and we stood with the well-being of the kids. And I can tell you, these kids are so much happier being able to go to school without having to wear masks for eight hours a day. So when you start to see them kind of reevaluate or say all this, just understand this. The science didn't change. Well, the medical science didn't change. The political science changed. Mm. They feel the heat. They know that voters have been tired of perpetual lockdown policies. They know that they have basically offered no off-ramp. And, and they know that they're fixing to get whooped at the polls. And so that's what's causing the epiphany. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, if they had looked at the actual science from the beginning, uh, they would have known that this was something that Florida was right on. And no, you seem to... Uh if I can recall, be a huge fan of mask mandates, especially on children. Are you sad to see them go? No. Antoinette? You know what I'm going to say. I was so happy because in Nevada, they, they got rid of the mandates effective immediately. It was pretty quick considering Sisalik was such an asshole about the mandates. Um, there was this video I saw online. Oh, even the kids' Dan reactions? Yeah, Dan Scavino posted it after I, I posted it on my Telegram. And it was the best. Like, it made me cry to see these little kids. They were dancing, going crazy. They were so happy. Like, you know how much, like, these kids have been through? It, it, two years is a long time in development with little children, you know? And to see those kids be so happy knowing that masks suck and they hate them. Yeah. You know, it, it gives me hope that, you know, that these kids know. They're, I mean, they're I mean, they're being raised right, too. So. And, I, and I hope at some point these kids hold their elders responsible when they're older exactly. for what they've done to this exactly. generation. Well, it's kind of a eye-opening thing, and it goes a lot with um, 
the level of development that people have mentally. Like as a small child, you're you're very resilient. Like you'll bounce back from something like that. But but if you're you after know, an age, not when you're a toddler, when like it's essential for them to see, like you know, children that are infants and toddlers that are they're not nonverbal, so they rely on your facial expressions and all those things, you know, to to develop. Yeah, I think I'm going more along the lines of of just a comparison of age groups, like. You see that where, you know, I'm sure that children in high school and middle school would be just as happy to not have the mask uh, requirements anymore. But, you know, I still drive around in town, you know, if I happen to be out when school's out. I know. And you'll see people just, you know, going with the program, wearing wearing the mask outside by themselves. I've seen people running with them on. But these students, you see them walking around and, like, you can tell which ones have you know, parents that maybe are a little bit more on board with, you know, fucking yeah. sanity because they're not wearing And others mask. who might be sympathizers of soy globalism. Or, yeah, or yeah. they're just completely brainwashed. Yeah. And, like, these kids, you know, the mask, like, over the nose, you know, completely, you know, freaking duct taped on there practically. And then you see the ones that are just, like, they're going to the program or maybe they're just so used to it that it just feels like, you know, they don't even comfort thing, you know, like a blankie. Maybe they got a pimple. There's kids right now who are in first grade who have never socially interacted with kids in a school setting in several parts of this country without not seeing facial expressions. Yeah. The detriment to this society is going to be huge. And when you just want to learn about trusting the science, here's a good example. Yesterday I was at the gym. I was on the exercise bike. So I'm on the exercise bike. There's a walkway in between and then treadmills in front of me. So the people in front of me on the treadmills have their back to me. This man walked from my right coming towards me. When he literally got right before my exercise bike, he inhaled. He pulled his mask up over his nose. He walked past me. And as soon as he passed me, he took his mask and put it back underneath his chin. <laughs> and is this because you weren't wearing a mask? Because I was facing in a direction where I could breathe at him, but all of the people who were on the treadmill to his right had their backs to him. Completely scientific. Are you supposed to be wearing a mask in this gym and you just weren't? We have no mask mandate. This mandates is the in most gym. fucked up thing about this all. It's the adults that are so terrified. This was that- a man. And he did the whole like pull his mask up, crouch down like his neck and his shoulders like, oh. yeah. If he, if he if he inverted himself, like was, he could see the lasers of your breath coming out. Yes. <laughs> and uh, even though I may have been breathing hard, I'm, I don't have COVID. Help me, Tom Cruise. There you go. Uh, it didn't take long for CNN to bail water uh, off of the sinking ship that is their network in regards to this whole narrative that we set up right here with uh, all the horseshit that's going on as usual with the Biden administration. And listen, it's starting to get deadly serious. There are some things. 3,000 troops from the United States in the last hour have been mobilized to the region. They're going to Poland. And everyone who uh, operates an embassy in the first world and more has now been asked to evacuate in the next 48 hours. I really hope this doesn't go badly, but... I don't know. I I don't believe it. uh, I feel like it's mostly just a visual thing that they're doing, a distraction. But at the same time, like all it takes is somebody to make a bad move and fighting to start. It may... may, uh, Hopefully... And I, it's so bad. We might have to go back to Joe Biden's old go-to pallets of cash to get Russia to stand down. And it's going to make us look even weaker. But at the end of the day, how about no? How about how about no? <laughs> how about some goddamn trade sanctions or something that actually fucking work? Mm-hmm. You could turn off one pipeline and and also how about no? All right, let's get into the CNN poll real quick. Nobody likes CNN. 
Christina Baptista. Biden's job performance. Well, look at how bad these numbers are for the president. Only four in ten Americans, 41 percent at the moment, approve of his job performance. Nearly six in ten, 58 percent disapprove. That's a tough number early in a midterm election year uh, for the president of the United States. Now, why is this happening? This is fascinating. We asked people, what has President Biden done for you that you approve of? 56% of Americans, nearly 6 in 10 Americans, that means a decent amount of Democrats said nothing. They disapprove of everything that has happened. Now, yes, the president would say, we passed the rescue plan, we passed the bipartisan infrastructure plan. It is not sinking in out in America. 56% of Americans say nothing. They disapprove of everything that has happened so far. 15% say the president has helped with the economy. 6% say the coronavirus. You talk, see here personal traits, foreign policy, other issues. But that is a stunning number of the failure to communicate the legitimate successes of the Biden administration. And without a doubt, the COVID pandemic is dragging the president down. His standing on COVID is underwater. Why? Look at this. 75% of Americans say they are burned out. 60% say they are angry. 58% say they are worried. Half, 49% say they're confused. 47% do say they're optimistic. So as the numbers come down, maybe the president can turn this dynamic. Way more than right 100%. now, you just have a burned out, angry country. It's hard for the president to break through, even if Things are getting better. And to the inflation and the economy, just look at the line here. The president's approval rating on the economy was 49% back in March. It is down 12 points to 37%. Ouch. Disapproval in the economy, 44% in March, 62%. That is the toll of inflation right there. The unemployment rate is down. The president did create a record number of jobs. 62% of Americans disapprove of the president's handling of the economy because they are paying more at the grocery store and at the pump every day. It's pretty amazing to hear CNN literally say and break it down and circle back to those numbers and say, I'm explaining to you by using all these graphs and numbers right here, literally six out of every 10 people. We all know it's more. It's probably closer to eight out of 10 hate Joe Biden and the job he's done since day one, like yeah. physically hate him and probably want to hurt him. Most likely. So they want to make him look like the grandpa from Jackass. But don't yeah. worry. Joe Biden was out there stumping along you know, within a certain radius of Washington, D.C. over the last couple of days. And as we're nearing the finish right here and right before we jump into our America First panel with Andrew McCarthy and Desi Quaylar, I've got a little Joe Biden mega mix for you of just how not only strong, powerful and leader like he's been the last few days while doing some of these speaking events and interviews. He was extremely coherent in doing it. Let's hear it. Because we need to ease the burden on working families by making everything more affordable and accessible. Look, again, slight digression. Inflation is up. It's up. And coming from a family when the price of gas went up, you felt it in the household, you knew what it was like, it matters. But the fact is that if we are able to do the things I'm talking about here, it'll bring down the cost for average families. Bring down the cost for average families. I don't know why they keep moving all that, but the fact is they keep down the cost for average families. He, he never ever in that speech alluded to what the things were he wanted to get yeah. done. Uh, but he did say he was going to work as hard as somebody. Noah, you might be familiar with this one. Bring gas prices down, which I'm going to work in to make sure that we keep strengthening the supply chains to bring the cost of energy and everything else and the goods that come to America down by helping the ports 24-7, by changing a whole range of things that, you know, What's happened with COVID, COVID has caused significant increase in prices in the supply chain. Mm. How do you feel no, about that? No, you mm. did. <laughs> no. no. We, had really. one, like, we had the best economy under Trump during COVID. Ever. 
Literally <laughs> ever. You know, let's talk about <laughs> supply chain. Let's uh, let's fire a bunch of truckers. Let's uh, impose rules and sanctions on owner operators operating trucks in what California was that only California? I forget. No, it, it was in a couple other states. Yeah, too. So Washington. And that's gonna fuck up things pretty good. You know, owner operators. That just cuts out the 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 business owner yeah. that isn't a main corporation. Certainly not a middleman. Fucking it's, assholes. Yeah, certainly. And he was pressed on that in an interview mildly that when he sat down with Lester Holt last night on uh, on NBC. The thing is, though, he started to get a little bit agitated and then just went into, like, not knowing where he was and lying. And the last two clips I'm going to play of Joe Biden. Let's hear him back to back. Ang- angry clone? Yeah. <laughs> back in July, you said inflation was going to be temporary. I think a lot of Americans are wondering what your definition of temporary is. Well, you're being a wise guy with me a little bit. Uh, I understand that's your job. But look, uh, at the time, what happened was the, uh, let's look at the reasons for the inflation. And the reason for the inflation is the supply chains were cut off, meaning that the products, for example, automobiles, the lack of computer chips to be able to build those automobiles so they could function, they need those computer chips. They were not available. So what happens with the number of cars that were reduced, the new cars reduced, it made up at one point, one went third off the cost of inflation because the price of automobiles were up. That, that was, listen, he was, huh? only, he was only getting warmed up. Don't worry. Uh, don't ever confuse which, wise guy. <laughs> yeah, you're a wise guy. Don't, don't don't worry. I understand. You got to ask those questions. Let's hear how many different countries he can call Afghanistan. That ring true to you? No. No. <laughs> That's not what I was told. <laughs> I want my applesauce. That you were told that the U.S. administration officials were prepared. They I'm knew it was time to get out. Pie. No, what I was told. No one told me that. Look, there was no duty. good time to get out. But if we had not gotten out, they acknowledged that we would have had to put a hell of a lot more troops back in. Oops. It wasn't just 2,000, 4,000. We would have to significantly increase the number of troops, and we were back in this, this war of attrition. And, it, and there was no way we were ever going to unite Ukraine. I mean, excuse me, Iraq, Afghanistan. There you go. No oh. way that was going to happen. And so this is a much wiser thing to do. I just want to clarify, are you rejecting the conclusions or the, the accounts that are in this army report? Yes, I am. So they're not, not true? I'm rejecting them. <laughs> what? Wow. No. What report is he talking about? Something the army put out? Yeah. And he's yeah, rejecting but- the answers of the people he put in place to make <laughs> Afghanistan the ninth largest military oh, in the world again. Scissor me timbers. I wish I wish you might not have let saved that one because in our last audio clip of the day, we've got one of our favorites. Man, Sister Nance. Now let's paint this picture. Let's go through the show again real quick. Premature garrison. Apparently, every intelligence agency in the United States is spying on its own citizens and collaborating enough ed- evidence to essentially lock us all away forever. That's fact. We we've seen it all. I think we're going to get adjoining doors on our cells. At the same time, as a deflection away from that, as a non-news story, they tried to give everybody crack pipes, which opened up the door to the dunk fest, which the House members and the senators and, and the governors of the country all did, which led into that speaking event slash interview that happened two days ago and last night. What is the only way that we can put out this fire now? It's by old reliable. No, more fire. 
not the kind of fire you're thinking. Let's hear how Nancy Pelosi weighed in. By saying that, um, you've heard me say again and again that the Republicans seem to be having a limbo contest with themselves to see how low they can go. What? They seem to have reached rock bottom with their statement that what happened on January 6th was normal political discourse. Legitimate, legitimate political discourse. I've also said that Republican Party, country needs a strong Republican Party. They made great contributions to our country. I say this to Republicans all the time. Take back your party from this cult. Take back your party. America needs a strong Republican Party and a strong Democratic Party. They are so scared of what's but coming in November. But it has been hijacked, and it's disturbing oh. that see, to see that the Republican leader of the House ran, actually literally refused to condemn that resolution of legitimate political discourse. He literally ran away from the press when he was asked about his position. Uh, the Republicans can run, but they cannot hide from what happened on January 6th to call that legitimate political discourse. 140 law enforcement officers were wounded. Some people died. It was a, an assault on our capital, our Congress, more importantly, assault on our democracy. Wounded? Don't you wish you saved that, Susan Timbers? <laughs> I can't use it now. It's, it's ruined. <sighs> well, there you it know, is. You know, it was proper political discourse until they waved people in. Yeah, and didn't Nancy take the people. steps and didn't take the steps to secure the areas. Don't forget about opening the ten thousand pound magnetic doors. That yeah, the doors the that inside. cannot be opened except from the inside, just magically opened. Like, oh, maybe somebody brought their garage door opener from home. Maybe that's what <laughs> happened. It's 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 so. I mean, sad. I would believe that as uh, capital security for sure. But the best part, like, the best Ron, part. Like they're, they're they're so terrified. They know what's coming in November. Yes, that's what it and, is. Excellent yeah, they don't they don't know what to do. I, now it's just lying projection, throwing, you know, slinging mud and throwing whatever, you know, they think can stick at the wall. Well, there is a percentage of people that believe every single word of this. And I'm pretty sure that's one of those people that messaged me on Instagram. Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't doubt yeah, it. Those are the four to six percent that are lost forever. And you know what? There's no way you can help them. Those kind of people. I mean, I wouldn't even, I don't, I mean, maybe like back in the day, 2017, 2018, I was trying to convince people and explain to them what, you know, why I support Trump, why I'm this, that, you know, now if you're at this point and you, you still think those things, it's. Ugh. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff going on right now that, that we just had to kind of, you know, wrap our head around. And, and right now we're at a point to where, uh, there's just no telling what's going to come. You know, we got stuff heating up all over the place. And the biggest thing we need to worry about is, is obviously all these international incidents and stuff like that. But January 6th is not going to be it. It's never going to be it, Nancy Pelosi. And you just need to get it out of your thick head. The, the narrative's already falling apart. You already have people that high-ranking members. And listen, don't ever call Kevin McCarthy the leader of the Republican Party in the mm -hmm. House. That is a wet dream fantasy that you could only dream of happening after the midterm elections. You're going to get someone that hates you so much fucking more and is going to actually do something. You're not going to know what to do with it. And for <laughs> going to knock those wrinkles right off your face. And, and maybe a, do a little adjustment on those Mick eyebrows. <laughs> As we end the news cycle today and get ready to host our America First roundtable with... Uh, the McFlurry machine is never broken at her house. Ever. The $300 ice cream. With two of New York's finest... Andrew McCarthy and Desi Quaylar is their audio is getting ready to load.
Speaking of coming in hot, we certainly are now with an America First Roundtable New York edition with two of our returning guests, two of our favorites in the Save America movement. Looking to represent first New York 14, Mr. Desi Quaylar. How's it going, sir? Wonderful. It's always a pleasure to be here, especially with with everybody and, and, and the very special guest, Andrew McCarthy, as well. Oh, thanks for introducing him. Looking to uh, represent New York 24. Mr. Andrew McCarthy, welcome back. Good to be here, guys. Thank you. It's our pleasure hosting you both today. Andrew, I'll start with you, uh, since you were so graciously introduced by Desi. How's the campaign been going so far, and uh, what's news on your end? Absolutely couldn't be better. Um, in terms of news on my end, I guess it all it's all from the grassroots. We're just keeping up with uh, county chair meetings, county board meetings, uh, hanging out in the bars, the town halls, the churches, wherever we can get a conversation, knocking doors and letting people know about our message. Um, we have a lot of endorsements coming out. Uh, we've, we are taking a trip down to DC for a fundraiser next nice. week. So if you're in DC, uh, actually the same, same week of Joe Kent. So we'll both be doing them back to back. We have a, a similar crowd. Um, but if you're in DC next week, definitely make it down to that. We have a lot of meetings with sitting members and you'll have, uh, you'll have some great news and some based endorsements coming out within the next 10 days or so. Oh, I also have one more piece of news. I want to take this platform uh, with you guys to give an endorsement myself to the other gentleman that you have. Desi, I'm endorsing you. I'm going to, I'm going to tweet this out shortly and we're going to do a press release. I want to talk to everyone in the city about that. Look for events with the both of us coming up, and and yeah, broke a little news for you today. Nice, wow, that's a stake exclusive um, right there. Yeah. I, I'd hate to we say we haven't had a good stake exclusive in a while. Ideas like that may have been formulated on this show or not, but I mean, sometimes we just that's get true. It, <laughs> it so. definitely, yes, it, it definitely was was uh, was part of it. But it's it's you know, likewise, it, me getting to know Andrew over you know the last few weeks. Um, I see a lot of what the country needs in him. And I see, you know, unfortunately what is, what is lacking in almost all the leadership on both sides, because to be honest, a lot of people on the right, you know, will always point out the, the, the problems with, um, you know, the methodology mm-hmm. and, and the, the, the philosophy of what's on the left, but we don't hold the people on the right accountable. Um, so we're suffering from the same type of, um, illness of structure that the left suffers from, which is not holding people accountable. So, you know, getting to know Andrew, he's, he's a phenomenal person, somebody that I would personally vote for if I could. And, um, you know, likewise, I'm 100% backing him. I'm going to, I'm going to be there for him for whatever he needs. And I'm also going to be endorsing him as well, because you realize in this, in this game of politics, it is what you make it. So we can either play by the rules of, of what is, you know, conducive to losing or you can redefine what you're going to do. And I think that we're going to set a trend and set a new standard of what should be done in politics. And, um, you know, absolutely. He's, he has my backing hundred percent. And I, I don't think, I don't think there's anybody else in New York that could do for their district, what he's going to be able to do for the district, you know? And it's just, this is something that, it's, 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 it's time now, you know, it's time to start doing the right thing. It's time to, to stop being afraid as a voter, as a citizen. And it's time that we start fighting back intelligently. And that's, you know, that's why I'm hundred percent backing him. And he has my endorsement as well. We're going to be putting some things out that are going to be very, very, uh, 
exciting pretty soon. So nice. Yeah, just to pick up on that, first off, Desi, thank you. Uh, that was really heartfelt. I feel feel the same. Um, I think I can speak for him when I say that uh, we punch towards the left, and as he alluded to, if, if you're if you're technically on the right and you get hit in the crossfire, that's then so be it. I mean, it's a structural structural integrity that we have to manage. Uh, we have to manage some of the personalities, some of the policy, and you guys know me. I'm I'm a, a hitter anyway, so so <laughs> it, it sort of fits it fits perfectly together. But thank you, Desi. No, it's great to hear that announcement out on the show today, and. Uh, We'll be, of course, sharing everything that you guys put out and, and hoping that, uh, you know, you guys working together will continue to uh, reap great rewards. Desi, I want to get a quick campaign update from you. How are things have been going in the city and uh, how are the people reacting to you actually being there and, and, and looking forward to representing them after the midterm elections other than, uh, you know, your opponent who spends most of her time, if not uh, placating some, some fake narratives in Washington, D.C., then uh, vacationing down in Florida? Yeah, the... Overall, the reception has always been uh, very good. It's 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 almost like the easiest person to run against when it comes to just saying, hey, I'm me. But in this type of political atmosphere that we're in right now, without good policies, you're just like everybody else because everybody's trying to to run against her because, you know, for one reason or another, everyone's trying to run against her. What I kind of had a realization of was when I started speaking my policies to the community leaders and seeing the reactions that they were giving me. That's when I realized that I'm onto something just to say, I'm honestly, um, it's been very, very good, very strong. Um, in terms of, you know, public support from certain community leaders, I would like it to be stronger, but you know, that's going to come. Uh, but in terms of what the people on the ground see the potential of happening, that's been phenomenal. Um, we've been raising money. It's been going well. And, um, I think that in the next month, we're going to start seeing a, a big ramp up in a lot of things. And, People are going to start having to really think about putting the community first yeah, and, you know, what that means and how that's possible. And it's, of course, it's, it's the job of every candidate that's running to, you know, put that faith into the person to earn their vote. Um, but, Desi, can I, can I ask you a quick question? Yes. So um, I'm so used to, frankly, you know, taking shots at, at rhinos and people on the right that are that are technically Republican or, or right of center. And there's just sort of sort of schmucky. And there's a lot of like uh, there's a lot of votes you could pick at. There's a lot of a lot of personality traits and just sort of general energy that you could that you could pick at. How do you where do you start with AOC? So like I've <laughs> never I've never even I've never even like gone against a Democrat, let alone uh whatever you want to call this magnitude, I guess a communist really, mm. what, where, where do you start and how do you on a week to week basis, um, like segment what you want to touch on? The way that I started essentially was from the ground up. So you see where she started from, how she became what she is because she popped up on the scene. Um, and everyone was just assuming, you know, Oh my God, you know, she's a superstar. There's this younger, uh, woman, uh, you know, full of ideas, full of energy. And she was definitely full of ideas definitely full of energy. Um, I started from that. I looked at the fact that she is essentially a verifiable fake candidate. Yeah. yeah. So she started because justice Democrats essentially held a casting. She got picked along with Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar. Um, you know, she didn't even, she didn't even want to do it. Essentially in the beginning, her brother was the one who put her name in. So when I realized that, I'm like, okay, so she she didn't actually start with a grassroots movement. She started because of, of essentially a, a political action committee 
that was formed by the heads of the, the Bernie Sanders presidential campaign. And then when I realized that, I was like, oh, so she's just a figurehead. If she wasn't there, it'd be somebody else. It has nothing to do with her. Um, and then from there, I just worked on, you know, out from, I just started from the inside, worked out. And you just see that everything that she says is, is all um, ideals. It's, it's very convenient ideals. And I've heard it before my entire life uh, when it comes to, you know, my family having been Cuban and just telling me this is what we had to escape. This is what led to this. And just seeing it my whole life, you get, you think that it's never going to happen again because it doesn't happen to you. But then when you start seeing the indicators of things that are happening, you're like, Oh my goodness. Like this woman is along with others is starting a trend of things that are conducive to the unraveling of, of the type of society that we have, which is one, one in a millennia or, or more it's, it's never been done before. Um, so what I do is essentially just keep that in mind. Then I look what she's doing and then I just work out. I would like to go a lot harder on, um, on everybody, but that times it's not here yet. Yeah. I was just having a conversation today with, um, with the chief of staff for, from a pretty, pretty notable member on the Hill that we're going to meet next week. And he was talking about some of the societal things that you're touching on. And, uh, you know, it's always in a communist nature to, by definition, to seize the means of production. And I think part of it that we don't talk about is that, um, aside from everything being so weird, like in clown worldish, if you seize the means of productions in, in, in 2022, it, we're talking about big tech. We're talking about multinational companies, multinational corporations, uh, in you know, and tech companies or companies the size of that had that have higher GDP than than third world, second world countries, some first world countries. Facebook's sort of a nation unto itself, and if they successfully do what you were alluding to. Um, you're right. We've never seen anything like this in the history of civilization. So, so I just wanted to touch on that. That's it's that other people are having this conversation too, that are taking on, uh, that are in the movement with us, but sort of taking on other issues. Yeah. And when you, when you look at, you know, the impact the United States has had across the world, you know, one could debate the merits of, of that impact. But when we really want to look at what patriotism is and how we've essentially, there's, there's always been nationalism in every country. Okay. But what the United States has done is kind of rebranded nationalism as patriotism in a way that no other country's done before. And you could see that in the way that, you know, countries like Hong Kong was waving the American flag in protest to China. They weren't waving the Hong Kong flag. They're waving the American flag. And it's because we have a brand of, of nationalism, which is really patriotism that we have. It's, it's kind of permeated the world and whether we don't realize it or whether some people want to ignore it, the fact of the matter is that when you when you look at the actions of 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 others when their freedoms are really on the line, they're waving the American flag. So I think that that is something that hopefully will will inspire other people to realize we have something special. And we need to really really fight for this because if we don't, it's never going to come back. It's just going to be a memory. Yeah, that stuff's catchy too. You're starting to get some uh, Canadian flags getting waved around the world now too. Yeah, they're doing they're doing some good stuff. They're definitely doing good some some good stuff. But uh, you know, when it comes to the protests with uh, with with you know the the truckers, but even then, it's like you look at Canada and they're getting they're getting stomped on right now in yeah. every possible way. Um, you have the 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 issue with with GoFundMe. You have um, you know essentially misappropriating their funds. Yeah, it's it's no matter how like the best that it can get 
coming from another country is never going to be what it is coming from us. Mm-hmm. And if we don't stand up and we aren't, we aren't that beacon of hope, everything's lost. There's yeah. nowhere to go to. There's nowhere to look for, you know, I yeah, think, I think, uh, go ahead. No, I was just saying we're, we're, we're the last bastion of hope for the entire world. So it's, it's that important. The stakes are that high. And I don't think people really realize that. Well, it's like that yeah. interview with uh, the former KGB operative in the 80s. Is he said there's no other place to defect to. He's like, he's like, we're all in the same boat now. If we, if you sink, I sink. Yuri Bezmanov. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well. You know, I do want to be able to uh, jump into some of the national issues and hear you guys give some takes on it. Uh, we do have some things heating up today, and I'm not talking about the free crack pipes that the Biden administration is going to be giving out <laughs> as part of their uh, Gender and Racial Equality Act with uh, laundered COVID funds. It's the uh, stuff that's going on on the Russia-Ukraine border right now. We have seen over the past couple hours uh, travel advisories from major countries, the U.S., Israel, some in Europe. You have 24 to 48 hours to get your people out, or you may be looking at an Afghanistan-like See you later over there. In addition, Wait, so they're to, saying they're going to botch it in advance. The Pentagon has announced in the last hour that they are officially sending 3,000 more troops to Poland. Both of you guys are veterans. Uh, both of you guys have served this country and, uh, you know, continue to do so. And it's one of those things where uh, I guess, uh, Andrew, I'll start with you. Why don't you weigh in on this uh, issue right here and then we'll pass it over to Desi to get a take. Yeah, I mean, just going through the line items, uh, I think Israel, South Korea, Japan are all are all um, you know advising their people to flee. Uh, it wasn't Tony Blinken; it was some other schmuck from the State Department today that essentially got up and said, "This we thought this was going to happen after the Olympics. This is probable to happen now. Happening being the invasion itself." Uh, we just saw a deal go through today from I believe it was General Dynamics on. Uh, billions of dollars, 64 uh, different uh, F-35s sold to Finland, which Finland sort of tended to stay neutral. They share a border with Russia uh, and some shared history there. So they're, they're gearing up uh, with, with a, with a, a top, top-notch, uh, you know, top-notch uh, aircraft, uh, fifth-generation aircraft. So they, they know that it's uh, about to go down. Um, I will say that I uh, just just scrolling through mutuals on Twitter. I saw um, someone that literally said this is like the same feeling uh, of like a transfer of power. They were at a table with 12 people at lunch today. Almost simultaneously, everyone's on their phone. They're not really having conversations. Everyone figuring out what they want to do with their lives, especially if you're a foreign national. Yeah. Um, and it's and, and, and here's and so that's so that's like the sort of, you know, anecdotes on the ground, uh, the military industrial complex gearing up. Uh, our State Department, you know, uh, giving advice or giving its take. So I'll give you, I'll give you my sort of thirty thousand foot up take uh, to, to to throw in there. This has so little to do with the United States that um, I'm I'm almost surprised. Well, I'm not surprised because the mainstream media is, you know, pumping up these stocks, totally in bed with the Democratic Party, who's right. like the party of Wall Street. Um, but I will say that this this is a a feud between two parts of Russia that have been uh, part of the same empire for about a millennia, about a thousand years. Uh, Ukraine and Belarus and Russia proper make up essentially the three uh, fragmented parts of of the Russian empire. Uh, And then you could look further to Baltic states and uh, satellites that uh, compose the USSR, which is obviously not a thousand years old, but the Ukraine uh, conflict has, has been going on and off. Uh, for a thousand years now. What I'll also say is, um, you know, there, 
there's the 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 geography that Russia has specific interests for and specific intentions for within Ukraine has uh, no love for the government in Kiev. They have no love for um, the policies that they have to put up with, where their taxes go, and they're mainly Russian by identity, mainly Russian speaking, uh, ethnically they're Russian. They are Russian by every definition. Now, I'm not apologizing or making uh, any on-ramp for Vladimir Putin. I'm simply calling this historically the the way it is. Uh, and, and Vladimir Putin here hasn't been given many options. He's been blackballed from the uh, international community for uh, going on a generation now. Yep. Um, and there's been such a, a poor attempt at maintaining dialogue from the West, specifically within the United States State Department uh, for the last generation, whether he was prime minister uh, president, whatever role he was in and uh, whatever role he was filling, uh, Vladimir Putin always attempted to, you know, this is a combatant, right? Like all politics aside, we have to view Russia a- as a combatant, but there's always an opportunity there. Uh, real politique. I mean, this came from dialogue between the East and West uh, and Russia and Europe over the last thousands, thousand years. And uh, the U.S. hasn't been practicing or executing uh, a, a realist approach to uh, foreign policy or our national interests since probably Ronald Reagan um, and really more like John F. Kennedy uh, yeah. or, even, or even Eisenhower. I mean, you have to go, you have to dig back to find some realism in American foreign policy. Uh, maybe, maybe Nixon a little bit. And, you know, we can hit on him for China, but at least, at least he was being a pragmatist. There's been nothing pragmatic about our dialogue with Russia, uh, and now they're cozying up to China because they've been pushed off and pushed off and pushed off over the last 15, 20 years. So here we are, and I can't say I'm surprised. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Desi, what do you think? Uh, you know, you see this area heating up, and uh, things are getting pretty tense over there. However, you know, like Andrew kind of laid out, this is not something new. Uh, this is not something that uh, – it is like just happening now or has anything to do with the fall of the Soviet Union or anything like that. This is something that's been going on for nearly a thousand years. And at the same time, you have to take into consideration that uh, an inept president and an extremely weak administration is trying to mediate between these two, you know, geog- uh, geographical ancestors. Geographical. Thanks. At a point where uh, the people who are in power right now have basically invented two of the biggest recent scandals in U.S. history, Russiagate and the perfect phone call. And, and now, you know, you think that Joe Biden's going to be able to get in the middle of this when he was probably behind a portion of it and uh, mediate between these two countries who probably can't even stand to look at him. What, what, what do you see coming out of the White House right now, and, and how concerning is it to you? I think right now they're, they're probably just trying to find Joe Biden because he's probably lost in some room or hallway. <laughs> Um, and you know, they, they're just trying to find him so you could just read whatever they need to to read all the paper. Yeah. Yeah. The, when you look at what Ukraine is, um, more recently of what it's been is, I think it's been a big hub for some type of money laundering. Yeah. Um, and I think that happens with a lot of the foreign aid that goes over there. It's, it's not a secret that it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the easiest places to, to facilitate that when it comes to foreign aid and you look at how um when trump was trying to investigate it they essentially just pinned what joe biden said he did on record 
multiple times. Yep. And I think that Joe Biden is completely um, incapable of, of instilling any type of respect in foreign leaders. He's, he's the 46th president, but sometimes I think that he has 47 chromosomes because this guy just doesn't know how to do anything. Um, he is, he is a risk to the country and to national security because of his inability to look at what's going on and make a decisive decision. And it would not be happening if uh, president Trump was still in office because president Trump had a way of, of saying, Hey, we all play nice and we can keep things in balance for the most part. Um, you know, right now, once the Democrats essentially took back power, it just went back to not only what it was, but, you know, times 10, because they have to catch up for all of the lost uh, time and things that happened or that could have happened while Trump was stopping things. So I think that one, it's just a horrible decision for us to, the timing is all terrible because what's, what's even worse than what's happening in Ukraine with Russia is what's happening in the United States with China. Right. And that is one thing that we are neglecting. Um, and I don't know if it's by design or if it's just by, you know, um, a lack of, of, of competence, but we are, we're really making some strategic errors and, uh, it's just, it's all of it is bad and we can go on for hours about how bad everything is. Yeah, we sure can. And it's interesting that you mentioned China, you know, whether or not you want to say, or consider the the pandemic as something that China weaponized to use against the world. There's no doubt in saying that it came from a lab in Wuhan, China, and 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 was you know put this whole world in 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 the state it's in right now. When you talk about lockdowns and how it's affected children and destroyed global economies and all kind of catered towards that 2030 agenda. At the same time, and and without kind of consequence or anybody standing their way due to weak leadership in the United States right now, China has gone all over the world, essentially on a world tour, scooped up buying land in New Zealand and. Australia and in Italy and in South America and in Central America and in Mexico to bail out all these countries whose economies they essentially wrecked. And and we're over here worrying about something. The military industrial complex is foaming at the mouth because it's been like several years since a president with Trump being in there for four years allowed them to go into some bullshit foreign war that would do nothing except burn all the stuff that they have in the bank so they can go and build a whole bunch of new shit and make more money again. And then and that's kind of where we're at with it right now. Yeah, they got major blue balls right now. Yeah, they sure did. Desi, next thing I want to touch on, I'll start with you, is the uh, the economy. We had an awful not only jobs number, uh, but, uh, you know, the inflation rate ne- cruising up towards 8%, something we haven't seen in over 40 years. A lot of hard men and women working in New York City right now. And uh, how is this affecting them, uh, not only in the wallet with you guys being in the midst of winter and having the fuel costs through the roof, but, uh, you know, at the grocery store, at the gas pump, et cetera? It's insane. I, I literally was having a conversation about this with my aunt before the podcast. I had to drop her off somewhere. Um, and it's just... It's insane. Property taxes have gone through the roof. Con Edison is insanely expensive. Um, you know, just the heating bill, oil, everything. It's just, it's a complete mess. You know, the, the lockdowns themselves have done enough damage on the economy, but also forcing uh, vaccine mandates as it's almost like putting the nail in the coffin. Yep. We need to completely roll back on everything that we've done if, if we want to have any hope of, of recovering from this, because 
the you know companies not allowing for for workers to re- uh, remotely work is an issue because workers realize hey I can be just as productive I could stay at home and I'm happier my quality of life is better but my boss is telling me now that I have to wear a mask get vaccinated and report to the office mm. it doesn't make any sense and then gas is through the roof so I got to drive I got to sit in traffic mm-hmm. and we have there's so many issues that the the lockdowns have exposed but also that they've built upon. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm going to reiterate that the mass mandates, the vaccine mandates, all this has to be done with, because if we keep telling like how, how simultaneously the, the rate of people getting vaccinated is going up because they just so happen to be firing people who aren't vaccinated. And then, you know, it, it's, it's, it, there's, it's no brain thinking that that is leading to the situation that we're in. And if we don't figure out a way to just put a halt on everything and then return to normalcy, true normalcy, it's it, we're never going to recover from this. New York is so close to yeah. being to the point of just irreparable damage. Yeah. New York City, it's 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 frightening because people are people are still moving away. Oh yeah, they are, and they're leaving in droves. Andrew, I want to stay in the same thread and kind of get your take on it. It's a different kind of uh, you know working demographic up in the part of New York you're in, though, and, and where people may have been getting back to work out in 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 your portion of New York, you see a lot of things that that still directly affect them, like they would in the city, whether it be the fuel costs or the uh, materials it would cost. To, let's say, you know, for builders and contractors and stuff like that. Where jobs are starting to come back, how, how is this economy at the same time still negatively affecting all the people out in your park, health or uh, New York? So, so well, I could see how you could trip up there. They're basically the same thing at this point. Um, <laughs> yeah. But no, let's 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 be clear. Joe Biden hasn't added one single job no. in his entire presidency. He's in the net negative. Joe Biden's in the red right now. Donald Trump had us in a surplus in pretty every in pretty much every single uh, economic category, every single indicator. Now, you know, your day-to-day is not judged by economic indicators, right? Or if it was, um, you know, we, we'd we still be in pretty good shape. But I'll tell you, but I do want to bring up a, just, a, just a couple that are going to um, set the set the tone for the really the rest of the year and, and uh, into, into the into probably the rest of his presidency. So inflation that we touched on, but then the uh, possibility for stagflation, which we haven't yep. seen in 40, 50 years, uh, unemployment going up what, simultaneously while uh, while inflation goes up. Uh, you're looking at commodities pricing, various every single sector you could probably mention. I heard him try to pin it on uh, car sales because you have a, a car is a product that essentially is sourced from various sectors. Um, so that is a, it's probably the worst answer he could have given you yeah. because it has it's pretty much a car is pretty much the the microcosm of an economy. So. That was that that backfired to anyone with a couple of brain cells. Uh, but I'll tell you this: just in New York City alone, we've lost five thousand measure tangible small businesses uh, since the pandemic. Uh, in up in upstate New York, uh, I don't have an exact number, but I can tell you it's similar. What really affects us right now is going on in Canada and what's going on on the border, um, and not from the truckers from these mandates. Mm -hmm. Uh, The mandates have already crushed what's going on in Western and Central New York in terms of small businesses. Now you have the the, the border and we we rely a little bit more on um, trade than, than say, 
the finance of downstate, um, the, the inner, you know, you're looking at a lot of capital flows in New York city that supplement spinoff industries within the city, uh, in, in Western New York, it's agriculture, it's manufacturing, it's trade with Canada, uh, and then greater, you know, trade with the greater U S it, it bleeds right into the Midwest. Uh, when, when, when different sectors are on crutches and all of these small businesses are staggering out of, uh, what the last two years were, I can tell you, it's not where it needs to be. And when those indicators come out, you will have a direct correlation and, and, and a massive red wave. All the Democrat Party can do right now is hold back the water at the dam right now, because when if, if inflation keeps going at the rate it is, this will be unattainable. We, we won't have an economy and not to mention. And I and I really I don't want to dwell on these indicators too much because that's not a clear picture of what your day to day looks like. But at the end of the day, everyone's currency is now devalued. We just printed two trillion dollars at the same time as a corresponding and in, in, um, uh, parallel inflation was already taking place. So I have no idea what's going to happen over that. I wouldn't take in anyone's advice on what's going to happen over the next 12 months. No, it's a it's a scary situation. You had Joe Biden on uh you know, during a press conference this week, bragging about how he sent everybody money and that money has just helped fast forward this this inflation that was already starting to take place. And now it's gotten to a point to where it's it's almost un- unattainable to get a grip around. Well, when he mentions what you said, 5000 small businesses, yeah. was that the number you said? Just in New York City alone. So when you when you think about losing a small business, like you got to figure a large percentage of that those people's lives are ruined. They put everything they had into, into that, uh, that business, like people starting a restaurant, like the, the amount of the percentage of restaurants that fail during the initial startup. And then the amount of capital, the amount of credit, like people's credit is ruined. People's life savings are gone. Like this isn't just like, Oh, sorry, you lost your business. Like, no, this is like your entire life is now irreparably damaged because Mm -hmm. of this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to, to touch on that really quickly, when you look at that number of how many businesses went out, the ripple effect that it had. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I think it was over 600,000 people lost a job in New York since the, the beginning of, of the pandemic. And that was just from numbers of, I think, uh, let's say March of 2020 until I think ju- maybe July of 21. Yep. It was it would be the, the number is insane. And then that reflects also on landlords. Oh yeah, on, of course. Yeah. You know, on on property tax going up, on people moving away. We lost a congressional seat because of how many people left, and and they, I mean, they can't get enough illegals into the country. I mean, into the state to 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 say that they live there to make well, up for the amount of people that have left. So vote. it's insane. It, it, it's just the ripple effect. People have no idea. They're like, ah, oh, five thousand businesses. Okay, that's only five thousand. How many businesses are in New York? You don't get it. People in New York, especially in the city, they work two to three jobs. Yeah. yeah. So to lose one already means that you might not be able to pay rent. Mm-hmm. So people, people are, they're, they're not understanding what is going on because they're not looking at the facts, not looking at the numbers. I just want to, I just want to, so Desi just mentioned something real quick. So within three months you saw in, in his neck of the woods, um, a totally redistricted map that yeah. was gerrymandered for the Democrats flights overnight with yeah. thousands of people, illegal migrants, um, that are being flown into Westchester, flown into Scranton, all shipped into New York City. Uh, and at the same time, a mayor come out and say that illegals can vote. So if you want to tell me that these are isolated incidents, then I have a bridge um, 
in Queens that I can sell you. As long as it's not a racist bridge. Yeah, according to, according to Mayor Pete, there are a lot of racist bridges out there in New York. Yeah, I think that all, all bridges are racist, according to the Democrats. <laughs> it's the only thing I agree on with the Democrats. These bridges yeah. are, have been so <laughs> <Man>. racist. Yeah. <sighs> all that iron. Tomorrow they're going to change the White Stone Bridge. Well, they're smart bridges, too. Yeah, it's going to be called smart else. bridges. Yeah. I missed yeah. the Tappan Zee Bridge. Yeah. There you go. I've driven over that one. Hey, yeah, so have I. Uh, Andrew, I heard you talk about the uh, the flights of illegals, and, and, and that's the last thing I want to touch on with both of you guys. I definitely got to get some good takes on this and how we, uh, day one in, in the U.S. House of Representatives, things that you're going to do, people you want to collaborate with, and, and, and things you're going to push to have Joe Biden finally stop and seal this border. Well, day one, you just enforce what's on the books. There's Our biggest problem right now is that we're not enforcing current immigration laws, Zero current border laws, um, and, uh, and the restraint that's been put on DHS, everyone on the border, uh, is really, frankly, disgusting. There's piles of that wall that are still sitting there unfinished. And we really just need a more resilient border policy generally. You could include AI, you can include drones, you can include, um, you know, just, I was just having a conversation with an Arizona representative the other day. Uh, It's as simple as putting a parallel road across that entire strip because right now you can't patrol it. So, that's important too. Um, that that road doesn't correspond with the entirety of the wall. There are places in, um, in you know, in Indian re- reserves and in Indian reservations where that are just totally unwatched. Yep. And then um, having a, the approach on a on a on the diplomatic level with with AMLO and with some of these um, the tri border area states uh, about migration before it reaches that border. So our southern border is not the first one, two, or three borders that they might cross. The Darien Gap is the source of all of this. We have a VP focused on the root causes of immigration right now, and I don't think she could keep up with what's going on in the Darien Gap because I can't keep up. Last time I checked, there was 120 uh, foreign different types of foreign nationals. Right now, it's 140. You're seeing people from Iran, Russia, Central Africa, of course, South America, uh, Latin America, uh, Eastern Europe, uh, South Southeast Asia, it, you name the region, good, bad, or otherwise, they're coming in illegally. And, uh, you know, uh, some, I assume, are good people. Uh, but but for no, all jokes aside, uh, we, we can't keep up. And it's not just a couple hundred thousand that you see um, estimated by the federal government. We're looking at a couple million. Yep. Um, and I, I guess my solution would be work, you know, who I would like to work with, you know, guys like Representative Biggs, Representative Gosar, uh, are they're really tough. They're really smart is yes. the most important part. These guys don't back down. They have solutions. Um, I mentioned a couple. Um, and then, of course, you know, our, our, our cornerstone aspect of this um, is, is a 10 year moratorium on immigration. Generally, I'm not just against uh, uh, illegal immigration. I think that we need to pump the brakes. Generally, it's really unfair. And it's frankly insulting to a lot of the talent and, um, and grit that Americans have. I don't care where you're from. There's, there's just so much talent here. I don't want to hear that they don't want to do a certain job. I want to tell you statistically about how they're not being allowed to do certain jobs in the tax sector and agriculture, uh, with some of the, some of the, uh, the, the rules and regulations on agriculture overtime that we're facing in New York. Uh, that's, it, it needs to be a more robust discussion surrounding immigration and border security, and there needs to be resiliency on the border. So, you know, we could go on all day, but those are just some, some points I wanted to bring up. Well, and the general public has no idea what's going on there. Like if you ask, like, you know, Joe Schmo off the street, he's probably going to think it's still like all Central American or migrants Mexican. that are coming in or yeah. Mexican. Yeah. And it's, 
I mean, you mentioned a bunch of regions that people probably have no idea, especially with the tensions going on in the world today. Like, I mean, if we have an influx of people from a certain region that we're having a definite, you know, military issue with right now, it's like you have to think of that on a national security level. And if they have money, they're bailing out of there. Yeah. So it's, it's or 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 if they don't have money, but they get flown in uh, at, at the rate of about a hundred thousand, and then they're given money and given homes, and then flown all over the country. That's sort of an issue too. Yeah, it certainly is. Desi, what do you think? I mean, the border's out of control. Definitely some of the aspects that we've seen uh, coming into the country this year having a direct effect on, on, on parts of New York City where you're looking to represent, talking about within 14 working days, people who are being flown in right after they cross the border are getting work authorization. 15 days after that, they're getting the ability to vote in. So allegedly municipal elections and local elections, not not federal ones. But, yeah, I'm sure they'll differentiate when uh, that gets rolling. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Um, wh- what do you see and what would you like to see happen on the southern border and how, it, how you know, is it negatively affecting New York right now? I think that, um, well, what I would like to see at the southern border was would be, you know, security increasing about a thousand percent. We need to send funding. We need, we need as much help down there financially for the people who are working there because, you can ask anybody that's down there. They're going to tell you that that's not enough. Um, even people here and, uh, you know, CBP that are here in, uh, you know, the port of New, uh, Newark and New York or, you know, HSI, there's, there's a ton of different agencies that work in that area uh, cohesively through the assistance of the Coast Guard. Um, and they'll, you know, be the first ones to tell you that, look, we're, we're not able to apprehend the people that are being apprehended because they're getting released immediately because we don't have enough staff to go down there and pick them up. So if we don't have the proper funding towards these agencies so they could do the job and hire enough people and train them properly, then we're just, we're trying to, you know, we're in a sinking ship and we're using our fingers to to plug holes. Um, We need to get rid of the sanctuary cities across the entire country. We need to also relook at, you know, true immigration reform. We need to look at the way that we're selecting our immigrants um, who are applying. Now, I think it may, it may be Finland, but we need to look at a way of of essentially going more on a merit-based type of immigration. So regardless of what country you're from, if you have you know high education, if you you know are a business owner, if you have skills that you want to contribute to the country or the place that you're moving to within the country, that needs to you know kind of prioritize um, the type of people that are coming in. We can't have just anybody coming in saying that you know they're they're coming in because of you know they're they're, they're afraid in their country or you know, they're being flown in by the thousands, yeah. uh, you know, on a plane from Afghanistan. We, we cannot have this. And if we don't first redefine the way that we allow people to come in, we, we have to have standards. If we don't first do that, everything else is just going to be for nothing because yeah. there's no way that we're going to have enough money to, to fund these agencies. But if we can revitalize the way that we select our immigrants, maybe we can expedite the service so we can get more people in that are that are good that are quality that are going to contribute that'll that'll you know lead to a surplus in in tax money because yeah. we'll have more americans that are paying taxes yeah. and then you know in turn that'll allow for us to better fund these agencies because uh you know regardless of what aoc and the other you know members of the squad and the other lunatics that are in the democratic party like to say about um ice what ice does they don't go after the mom and pop who have been you know off the books for 30 years they go after the 17 18 year old that is now, you know, the the leader of one specific sect of MS-13 yep. because of how many hits he's done. They go after those types of people. So if we're underfunding that, 
and you're leaving these 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 you know criminals in these you know underprivileged communities because really you know if if you're here illegally it's it's already tough enough as it is the the last thing that you're going to want to worry about if if you're trying to lead a law abiding life is MS13 and other gangs so what they're doing you know like AOC what she's doing by saying that ICE is the enemy is she's empowering the real enemies that are living among the people who are here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she's, she's not helping them at all. No. So it, unless we're able to, you know, properly fund these agencies who are going to be the ones that are going after um, the illegal aliens that are here, then there's, there's nothing we could do because the, the police can't do it. You know, de- we de- can't have them in our prison system because the, the people in the prison system are, 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 are for, you know, American criminals. Yeah. And a lot of people understand that. If they He's doing a really there. good job of, of not uh, entertaining the talking points of the left. Right. And they want to they want to fit this conversation into, well, who else is going to do the jobs? First off, this is not an economic issue from an American first from an America first perspective. There is there there is a uh, an invasion to some extent, but more importantly, a moral and humanitarian crisis for the people being shepherded across the border. For, for the cartels that are essentially invading, holding court on our southern border, for someone innocent of any descent that owns a, a farm on within 50 miles of our border. It, it's a humanitarian crisis across the board from the drugs that are coming in. So anytime that someone tries to make this an economic argument or call you a racist, uh, Desi will describe to you that roughly 10 years ago, you could go to you can go to Spanish Harlem, mainly Puerto Rican neighborhood. And then you just see the demographic change. You say, who are all these El Salvadorans, these Mexicans? They, this is not a race thing. This is not a culture thing necessarily. This is un, unaccounted masses of people disrupting the social fabric that's pre-existing in this country. Mm-hmm. And it's a humanitarian crisis. So don't play along with any of the conversations with the left about race, about the economy, about anything. Just give them stats and tell them what's going on. And the answer is not necessarily. I mean, yes, these agencies need better funding and staffing and staffing. However, it starts with policy. Yeah. If you have a policy where, you know, you're going to have the hydroelectric plant and they're going to open the dam, you know, 40 times a day, it doesn't matter how many buckets you give to the guys downstream. Like they're still going to just going to be drowning up, up to their neck, you know? But if you, your policy is to, Hey, we're going to open this thing once a month and we're only going to let out a specific amount of water, then it makes a lot more sense. A little bit more manageable. Yeah. Which is what the southern border has been the opposite of since day one of the uh, Joe Biden administration. Yeah, there's nobody driving the floodgates right now. Guys, this yeah. is this has been an absolutely outstanding hour of content from both of you. It certainly cannot be the last time that we have you both on the show. And uh, we are going to continue to track and share you guys across our social medias in addition to directing all of our listenership to support you in any way they can, uh, in- including financially, because remember, we, we're not donating to Ronald McDaniel, Mitch McConnell, and the establishment GOP anymore. We're finding okay. candidates who are America first, who best represent the people and who the you know constituents identify with, and we're sending all of those donations and all of those campaign funds their way, uh, at least on steak for breakfast. So, uh, Desi, starting with you, why don't you give us your social medias, including your uh, campaign website, and we'll live link everything in the show description today. Absolutely. So the website is desicuellar.com, D-E-S-I-C-U-E-L-L-A-R.com. You can uh, donate to uh, D-J-C-F-O-R-N-Y.com. My Twitter is D-E-S-I-J-C-U-E-L-L-A-R. So just Desi J. Cuellar. And um, 
Instagram is, is it's still in the process, but it's Desi Cuellar as well. We'll tag you on there anyway. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Andrew, what about you? Uh, the website is Andrew McCarthy, NY.com. The Twitter is uh, at a McCarthy NY and the rest of the social links are through the site. Ron Gab, Ron Getter. Uh, we're um, on Instagram, I believe. Yes, we're on Instagram, uh, Facebook. I mean, you know, all, all of the sites are on this, uh, are all the, all the links are on the site. Guys, these are the takes that you ask us about in the DMs, in, in, the, in the polls that we take, and in, in the show teasers. You're getting the answers that you want to hear, and if these are the candidates that best identify with you, get out there and support them. This has been an, uh, an America First Roundtable New York edition with uh, future representatives out of New York 24, Andrew McCarthy and Desi Quaylar representing New York 14. Thanks for joining us today on this Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast. Well, I'll tell you one thing. You can't get much more America First and this episode was on our Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. A little horse in the throat for talking for four hours. And uh, at the end of the day, feeling great. I think the country is a little bit of a shit show right now. But if you are tracking some of these candidates and people who are in the midst of this movement trying to make this ship right, I definitely think that uh, we're in good hands. And moving forward, it's going to be a bigger red wave than ever before. (laughs) You can follow the Steak for Breakfast podcast on all downloadable podcasting platforms. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Podbean, Google Podcasts, FM Player, and now iHeartRadio. Subscribe to the show and rate it. Leave a review. And don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and most importantly, share Steak for Breakfast content. Show credits of the week go to all of our guests, if I can remember them all. We had Miss Christina Bob of OAN. We had uh, Suzanne Harp looking to represent Texas 3. The Raw Egg Nationalist. Ren, thanks for joining us today. And then our America First Roundtable, New York edition. Desi Quaylar. Looking to, yeah. Looking to, looking to represent New York 14. And uh, Andrew McCarthy looking to represent New York 24. Friends, go out and, and show some love to all of our sponsors and help make small American businesses great again. Friends friends my pillow who is a great friend and a humble pillow farmer uh sales very large right now giza dream seats 60 percent off sizes as low as 39.99 i'm looking at some right now they are giza dream fantastic if this show gets any longer i'm going to use my travel pillow and go to sleep right now well as long as you enter the promo code stake at checkout you'll be able to get those big, big savings. Or you can talk to a qualified pillow representative at 1-800-658-8045. Odyssey, the top tier of ear gear, can be found there. They're on Facebook, they're on Instagram, and they're at odyssey.com. Stay ready gear holsters. Melted Kydex done right. Send them a picture. They'll pick out a block of plastic for you. They'll melt it down, shove a gun in there. It's delicious. Man rubs. Don't mistreat your meat. Buy it, shake it, rub it, smoke it, throw it in your mouth. Num, num, num. Delicious. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms. All your firearms needs, in addition to uh, a veritable plethora of ammo. You can find him on uh, westcoastsurvivalarms.com, on Facebook Messenger, or via the telephone. He's still on the hunt for me. Well, I'm pretty sure he'll find it. Mike's pretty good at locking stuff down. And if you uh, want to ask him just exactly what he's looking for for Noah that he eventually won't buy and won't own. No, definitely not. Via the telephone, 619-870-6992. First responders, we love them and they love Mediocre Medic. Find them at MediocreMedic.com and also on their Fire IG. And the home of the Zero Fuck Stuck is Dumpbox.us. 
go waste some money on Mark because uh, he's been putting out some amazing content and product for over a decade now. Segway a little bit? I like it. Because we're about to read upcoming shows and there's a lot of them. Oh, scissor me timbers. I got the fully. Speaking of uh, scissor me timbers, we're going to be doing just that on uh, Tuesday when we circle back with uh, Darren Beatty. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. He was pretty uh, fired up about the uh, DHS thing, the uh, advisory this week, and uh, we're going to get to uh, see what he's working on with that. In addition to him, we're going to have Dr. Zelenko. It's going to be an awesome conversation. We're going to talk about all those therapeutics regarding uh, COVID and uh, just what he's got going on right now. Roland Lopez, who's looking to represent Texas 38. We got a lot of people in Texas to get covered. And then running in Pennsylvania 3, Jim Bognett. He was originally scheduled for later in the month, but asked to go on earlier because as part of his campaign, he's gotten a little bit of an expose on some of the Afghan refugees that are getting dumped in Pennsylvania. And he wants to talk to us about it first on Steak for Breakfast. Oh, wow. Next Friday, we're going to have the co-founder of the Tea Party, Michael Johns, in addition to Mallory Staples, who's running in Georgia 6. Matt Brainerd's going to circle back with us. And we're going to have Ian Smith, who's looking to represent New Jersey 3. Following week, we're going to have our rescheduled date with Tony Cowden, running in North Carolina 4. Newly announced candidate for Colorado 8, Jules Gray. The New York Young Republican Club president, Gavin Wax. Shu Abdiraman? Huh? Long story short, she's Elon Omar's primary challenger. She's looking to represent Minnesota 5, and I won't butcher her name when she comes on the show. And Bob Burns, who's looking to run in New Hampshire 8. On the 25th of February, gubernatorial candidate out of Nevada, self-proclaimed girl Trump, Michelle Fiore will join us in addition to her. Oklahoma Senate challenger, Jackson Lamer. Lameyer is going to join us as well. Mike Collins is coming back, maybe with Robbie Starbuck on the 1st of March. In addition to that, we're going to have Willie Montague, who's running in Florida 10. Mark Ivano, the uh, president of Republicans for National Renewal, will be joining us to talk midterm elections on the 4th of March. In addition to that, we're going to have Ohio 9 House candidate J.R. Majewski, Carolina Serrano running in Nevada 4 on the 8th of March, and on the 11th of March, senatorial candidate out of Arizona, Kelly Townsend. That's a pretty big one to score down. She's uh, Team Carrie Lake, Team Mark Fincham, Team Wendy Rogers, and she's going to be doing steak for breakfast. Team America. There you go. Beautiful. Equally as many, and I can't forget because a lot of people have been saying, hey, you've been cheaping with the Friends of the Week is our Friends of the Week. I want to do a, a nice little shout out to all the friends we've been making recently on Discord, whether it's in the Save America one or the National Pulse one with Raheem. We love you all. In addition to them, Sublime and Slime, Madam America, Let's Go Brenda 2, The Duke of Memes, It's Hands, 111. He sent us that AIDS one. That, that was amazing. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Kevin Atari, Grand Old Memes, What I Mean to Say, listen to the new one. It's not Snack Nicholson anymore. It's Snack Thickelson. Ooh. He's back. Puberto's 2.0, That Persian Girl, and we can't ever forget Baby Cakes 2.0. Guys, thanks for remember between uh, now and next show. Number one, do your own research. You can only imagine how much research I didn't have to do to put this uh, three-hour show together with my co-hosts and uh, besides a couple word flubs, hit it seamlessly. Yeah. In addition to that which piggybacks and, and goes right along with it. Start a podcast because uh, super easy. Well, I mean, today it's going to be super easy for me. You're welcome. It's all Antoinette's. Uh, she was the one that made this thing what it was. And last but not least, let's see what happens. This has been episode 107 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, and we'll be back on Tuesday with 
Darren Beatty, Dr. Zelenko, Roland Lopez, and Jim Bognett. On behalf of the pod crew, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Have a great weekend, Antoinette. Bye, guys. Have a great weekend. Amazing job today, dear. Guys, thanks for listening, and take care. Call me a liar? No, not a liar. You just have a common and likable tendency toward exaggeration. Ho, ho, ho. That there's the champion hog gun in this camp. Hell, I seen him eat 10 chocolate bars and seven cold drinks in 15 minutes. He can eat busted bottles and rusty nails any damn thing. If you be so kind and let me cut off your Yankee head, he'll eat me that. <laughs> I can eat 50 eggs. Nobody can eat 50 eggs. You just said he could eat anything.